Yo, what's up guys and gals? Tonight's Gravity Lab Radio is brought to you in part by the Rating Center. The Rating Center, we are a full-time rating school. We offer coach courses, tandem courses, AFF courses, and recently we are super stoked to announce the addition of a good friend of mine, Pedro Ramos. Pedro is a Venezuelan buddy. He is now doing Spanish courses, coach courses in Spanish. He does Spanish better than I do English. Uh, so we now have Aaron Dita Sanchez doing tandem courses in Spanish. We have Pedro doing uh, coach courses in Spanish, and he'll soon be doing tandem courses in Spanish as well. We really want to help our Latin friends and family out there in the skydiving world. So if you're looking at courses in English or in Spanish, we can help you out. And soon, uh, Pedro is also working on his AFF examiner rating, so we'll be able to do that with you also. In the last year, we've really ramped up business a little bit. We've wanted to uh, grow the company. It's something I've worked on for the last two or three years is that infrastructure. And what I've really been able to do in the last few months is pull that lever. We now have a total of seven examiners available on the Rating Center staff. Our Dallas campus has this coach examiner running full-time. We're offering coach courses on uh, almost every month basis there now, along with Canopy courses that have been running there monthly regularly also. Because of this influx in this building, something we're able to do is we're now offering a lot more traveling courses. We have the ability to send our examiners to you where you're at. If you're interested in coming to Skydive Spaceland in the, in the winter, man, you're up north. There's not much to do. Come down and join us in Houston for the winter and do a couple courses. Learn and train with some of the best men. The people who work with us are absolutely passionate skydivers. But if you want us to come to you, you can get that as well. Check out our website, theratingscenter.com. You can always send us an email at trc at theratingscenter.com. You can find us on our social media on Instagram and on FaceSpace. Give us a holler, give us a call, and we will see what we can do for you. Tonight, also not one of our sponsors, but I'd like to throw a lot of love out and a, and a lot of just, just man, I can't thank these people enough. Skydive Spaceland. You hear them talk. You hear Nick and I talk about them a lot. We both do work with Skydive Spaceland. Nick actually uh, does a lot of work where he actually works for Spaceland. We have a huge connection to them. A lot of people will actually think we are a show based from Spaceland. We're not. We just happen to be huge fans of that drop zone, a huge fan of that business. The Boyd family, Stephen Boyd, Steve Boyd, man, the Boyds have been great to us. Eric Boyd, who is just uh, currently one of our pilots, but he's been heavily involved in the business for so many years. The Boyds have just been such a great blessing to, to my, myself and my family, and they really are a, a part of my family, and I feel it's a part of theirs. Skydive Spaceland, they are a very passionate bunch about skydiving. You'll find you won't find very many people who love jumping as much as they do. Steve Boyd has expanded his company, expanded his brand, and a lot of people think it's just to get more money and get more business. And there's no doubt business does not hurt the decision. But I've spoke to Steve personally about this, and I know Steve feels very strongly about impacting the safety, the growth, and the culture of the sport. He has a great program in his student program, and a big part of the expansion of the Spaceland family was to spread the type of skydiving and training that the Spaceland brand represents and to help have a broader and greater impact in the sport. We have Skydive Spacelands in Houston, Dallas, San Marcos, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia, and Clewiston, Florida. So if you're in any of those areas, give them a shout. Check it out. We do the $8,800 all-you-can-jump unlimited jump package. I might have quoted the price wrong, so don't, don't quote me on the price. Check out the Spaceland website. But for a year, you can skydive all you want. We've already had a couple guys hit a 1,000 skydives on that jump package. At Spaceland Houston, we are flying planes every day year-round except for Christmas, 
We get tons of loads. As long as the weather cooperates, you'll see people in the sky. Check them out, skydivespaceland.com. Not one of our sponsors, but man, they just mean so much to me. They mean so much to Nick, and they've been such a huge supporter of both of us. So I want to show a lot of love to them. Tonight's guest is the one and only Nick Batch. Nick James Batch. He is a great dude. Listen to the show. You'll get that last joke. I really enjoyed getting to know Nick tonight through the show. Uh, Great stories, great talking about swooping, and great talking about personal growth. Tune in, check it out, get to know one of the best world champions you'll ever see. Guy holds multiple world records, multiple world championships. Just take a listen and enjoy the show. I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really (laughs) exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and Nicholas Lott. Produced by Justin Grubbs. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Yeah. Gentlemen, question mark. I think we're live. I can't tell with Facebook. Yeah, I think we're going. Nick Batch, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you doing, DJ? I'm doing good, man. This is actually our second show in a row where we really don't know the guests at all. Most of our guests are friends of ours, people we've known quite a long time. So I really look forward to shows like this because I get to actually really get to know who you are tonight. So I really appreciate you being here. You are visiting in town. Is Spaceland doing what? Um, well, I, uh, I ended up coming in town. I, I brought one of my groups out here. Uh, we were supposed to be down in Florida. The weather just didn't work out with the hurricane. And uh, so second best option with the current situation is, you know, a place open seven days a week. So we showed up at Spaceland, uh, got some permission from Zach and the guys, obviously, to come. Yeah. But yeah, it's been great. So it's nice being out here. I think today was my seventh day. So. And you've got three or four more still in front of you? Yeah, I've got... I've got a, a group of local guys coming up here for three days, 11, 12th, and 13th. So looking forward to that and finishing up my first group here tomorrow. So, so a lot of people have listen have no clue when you say you have a group here. What what are you doing? Sure. What group do you have? Um, I, uh, I work with different teams and also different individuals in the sport for canopy piloting. Um, anything from beginner uh, basic canopy courses all the way up to professionals who want to be the best or beat me in competition (laughs) um beat kurt you know beat all the best you know and and so i specialize i really enjoy helping out all the younger generations get the training that we couldn't get when we first started you know kind of and giving back to the community what what we possess or what we've learned in all these years Man, a hey, lot. Just a quick interruption. Was it your birthday a couple of days ago? Yeah. Happy birthday, man. Happy birthday, dude. I didn't yeah, 38. Yep. Nice. Happy 38th. Yeah, it was good. Uh, I, you know, most of the times we're choosing work over holidays, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> things like that. As skydivers, you know, take advantage of the situations. When you get work, you work. Yeah. You know, so. I, I'm guilty of not working on my birthday. Mm-hmm. I am one of the people I know who, my birthday's New Year's Eve, so it's really easy oh, to yeah. choose to take it off. Um, but God, I don't remember the last time ever in my life. I actually quit a job over them telling me I had to work on my birthday. Oh man. So yeah, we <laughs> bold move. Yeah. It was a part-time night job. I was working in a club at night. So I was like, I'm out. Peace. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of times where we would be at the DIPC in Dubai during Thanksgiving. We didn't have Thanksgiving in the United States, like seven years in a row due to their competition was always over those dates. So it's a, uh, it was very interesting, you know, as a, professional in the sport um who's competing 
to follow the schedule of the competitions or the training and such, uh, you know, giving up those holidays. Yeah. A lot of our listeners are experienced jumpers. A lot of them will recognize your name, but a lot of them are newer jumpers and they really mm-hmm. don't know a lot of any of us. Sure. So tonight I want to look at a couple things. Number one, one of my favorite parts of Gravity Lab is people like to get to know their heroes mm-hmm. and they don't get to know us on the drop zone. We're busy, we're working, we're coaching, we're doing our jobs and we try to get to know people, but that sure. casual hangout. And number two, get to pe- get to share some of the knowledge and experience you have because you have been a competitive swooper for how long? Um, I've been on the professional circuit since 2006, so almost 13 plus years. And you started jumping when? Uh, 2001 in uh, St. Louis. We had a small drop zone at uh, in Quantum Leap in Sullivan, Missouri. I know the name. Yeah. I worked in uh, Greensburg, Indiana for a few years. So Midwest was something you mm-hmm. get really familiar with when you work in the Midwest. Yeah, there's not a lot of facilities to no. jump from, so you get to really know each one because it's more of a, a lot of them are more clubs or. Yeah. Uh, smaller groups, everybody's sort of best friends. It's yeah. a different camaraderie on some of those facilities or drop zones than there are at the larger ones mm-hmm. where people are more focused on team activities. And um, the sports evolved a lot in the last, you know, 15, 20 years to make those changes as well. Some of my friends would complain that it's become too much of a business. Mm-hmm. And I, d- I do miss a small mentality. I do miss the family vibe and the bonfires in the evenings. But look at what skydivers can do today versus what we could do in 05. Yeah, the, the sport and the industry, I think, especially has changed so much from more that boogie mentality or uh, world freefall conventions, you know, if, if venues that were more geared towards jump ships and having a good time as opposed to, uh, you know, oriented uh, tasks involved, you know, skydiving where we're doing skills camps and main focuses from students I see at 20 jumps already having an idea of what they want to do in skydiving versus just sort of going out there and enjoying the whole realm of just skydiving in general. They have a goal already. Yeah, You see that a lot more for sure nowadays. So it's good. It has its positives and obviously it's sometimes a lot of focus too. Uh, sometimes takes away from the beauty in yeah. some of the spots. It does, but the beauty of flight, man. Yeah. Watching people accomplish things yep. at 25 jumps that we couldn't do with 100. It's crazy, right? At 500 jumps, the things that we couldn't do with 1,000. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things I'll eventually talk with you about tonight is what we will let jumpers to do, do under a canopy with 400 jumps today that we wouldn't let them do quite a few years ago. I mean, it's because of better training and better coaching. Yeah, it's great, really, um, especially in the you know the canopy skill realm and stuff like that. The things that they used to think we were crazy, they used to think we we're crazy just to try something at you know seven hundred, a thousand jumps, and now you know people are full fledged swoopers. You know, at seven hundred jumps now, been doing it since they're flying their saber twos mm-hmm. um, with the right instruction. It's really yeah, it's come a long way for yeah. sure. It's cool. I recently worked with a guy uh, came up to Spaceland. His buddy was doing his A and a week over the winter. He said, yo, man, I heard you do coaching here. I want to start doing 270s. I'm like, hey, man, I can help you with that. What are you, where are you at? What are you doing? Well, I got 500 jumps. And my immediate kind of take in my brain is like, 500 jumps and 270s. Well, cool, man. Tell me about your experience. Man, I started canopy coaching as soon as I got my license. I went to canopy courses. I've done this many sessions with Kirk. I've done this many sessions with Greg Windmiller. I've done mm-hmm. this. I've done that. I'm like, man, you got a video of this, dude? Sounds like you're, and he shows me video. I'm like, fuck, let's go work on 270s. And sure. by the end of the week, that kid was doing a 270 near the pond. You know, we started uh, mm-hmm. real, real nearby, gave him some sight picture on the ground. And sure. at the end of the week, he went across the pond once and was lit up, man. And he actually was really safe doing it. Yeah, it's it's 
it's a fine line, you know, balancing that that danger with yeah. success and um, push pushing someone to the limits of how close can we put it and still yeah. learn something positive and and get a response. Um, I really do enjoy giving back with that, like because a lot of the information that we've learned or we've you know spent all this money to to obtain this skill set is it would be a shame to let that go to waste or keep that information for yourself, not being able to share it with the world. Um, and it's nice to have so many different coaches uh, that have something to say in a different way. Cause, yeah. cause there's so many different unique ways to say something or um, a few different ways to get the same result from a different uh, maybe method, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty cool to see all the different coaching. So. Yeah. There's so many different world champions who've won in different ways, mm-hmm. you included. And what works for me might not work for you. How I say it might work differently yep. than how you say it. And there's no doubt. I, I love the fact there's so many coaches today that people can take advantage. Yeah, and, and you know, there's many very approachable ones, too. You know, it's it's such a small sport. It's great to be able to work with the people you idolize. I see swoopers or up-and-coming competitors in all different disciplines, and they go from working with a coach to competing against a coach to sometimes <laughs> beating the coach. And it's, God, I hate being that person that gets beat by somebody oh, you watch start. Oh, yeah. I've, I mean, it's happened many a time. It's happened and, to you, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, many a times. There's plenty of competitors I work with that, that beat me on a regular occasion. Um, and, you know, we're really, we're really all so it's so tight. The race is so tight now in any sport. Any part of the disciplines are so ridiculously precise it's razor sharp you're either you're either on or you completely dropped out of those top slots by more than percentages tens of 20 percent of your overall scores it's really amazing to to see the the race being that tight i've won and lost world championships with other countrymen and even kurt and our countrymen by less than a few points each round and back and forth for the last six rounds in a comp do you watching you and kurt battle over some of these comps yeah it's been intense watching. I bet you guys have had fun doing it. Yeah, you know that was <clears throat> that's one of the pleasures of uh, when we were teammates, flying with each other and learning with each other, push push each other to a really far boundary. Um, but uh, but but man, it's a it's a tight battle sometimes, and there's a lot of really great competitors too out there now. Um, this year's World Championships or World Cup Championships in South Africa, unfortunately, I won't be partaking this year mm-hmm. um, or next year, but. Uh, I have, you know, there's, I have some good ideas of who might, who might be able to take it this year. And there's some very talented competitors. So it could be a free for all, you know, and that, that top five placing mix up could go anywhere in terms of, uh, depending on who's on it that day. Nationals just finished for us and it was crazy to watch how the podium mixed up. It was Mm -hmm. seeing like Alex Hart, you know, sure more or less the new kid on the block mm-hmm. a young face and all of a sudden he's out there crushing it watching yeah. a man albert berkhold who's been out there for a while finally sure. making it to a to a happy place and man super yeah. congrats to him i'm so happy yeah it's been good uh justin price i've watched him in Klatavi, uh pulling off some really monster runs underneath the the mutant harness from a uh, upt <clears throat> and uh he decided to go back to his normal harness i saw uh he was posting online so but he plays second kurt smashed it mm-hmm. you know i watched him sit down at Klatavi, not do a competition just so that he can be strong enough to do the nationals because it's more important uh that was a really tough choice as a competitor i as one who decided to sit down this nationals due to an injury from last year um making a choice to sit out for two world meets over possibly injuring myself further 
is, uh, was a huge decision, you know, so people make sacrifices, uh, when you're a top competitor, some of us, this is our life and other people do it for fun and they get in there and, you know, they, they put their heart into it, but it's not their full-time job. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's definitely cool to see some of those new and up and comingers that never been there. And then the people who worked so hard for so long that didn't think they'd make it, make it. Yeah. Um, I was bummed to see our buddy Bo. I'm sure you know Bo from PD. Yeah. He was doing good at the first. He had the, I, well, the first night he had the first fastest speed round, I think, uh, fastest speed round. Yeah. Uh, or something under that hardness. I'm assuming I didn't see. I think he rounds. was using a mutant. I'm sure I, we had, he was out of mile high for, sorry fluctuations in the sound no worries uh, we, got, he, we got a leveler it works he was out of mile high um for uh the demo tour or whatnot mm-hmm. i watched him fly a little bit he definitely has gotten some some time under the harness and he's a good speed flyer i think that helps with those types of harnesses as well yeah. um so i'm curious you mentioned earlier that um i think jp justin was the one who actually had the mutant and decided to go to his regular harness yeah that's what well, that's what i read on facebook yeah, yeah. <sighs> And then uh, recently, between that conversation and then I saw somebody posting on Bo's comments like, oh, wait till you see the rules change because of that harness and basically insinuating that harness is going to be banned. Mm. What do you and I think it's I don't know if it's somebody who had a real insight or somebody just talking, you know? Sure. I mean, there's all different things in the sport that could I mean, so we've always fought over that, like evolution of whether or not the prototype or equipment that's not available to the general public should be available to other professional athletes in the same championship. Um, and the sport's been so small, it's hard to classify a certain particular category for prototype parachutes only or prototype harnesses because there wouldn't be enough competitors to really justify a, mm-hmm. a class for itself. Yeah. The classes are, um, they've played with like weight rules and stuff like that where we do like weight classes, just like boxing, so you can have different... Um, groups that would be yeah. competing so there would be like more susceptible or allowed but over the years we've always been flying parachutes or doing um maybe not that many harness modifications is kind of the new thing um but we've all been making those modifications with the professionals and i think that's also what evolves the sport because if the, we're not testing it in a real world environment against their other world's best canopy belts testing their prototypes then we're really not pushing the boundaries of where the next one's going to go because we don't we don't have enough classes to segregate those i think i think so much learning has come from this pushing in this evolution mm-hmm. and, and why hinder it why limit it yeah i think it would only it would only take away from the performance and and i feel like we already did that a long time ago when they said you know stop flying through the gate and going as far as you can we start dragging water and staying down for 50 meters it it took away some of it's exciting. Mm-hmm. It's touching the water at those speeds. It's not um not very easy and very hard on ankles and stuff. But uh but some of the distances, you know, took away the beauty of how far could a human fly. Uh the evolution of flight would always be what is the furthest flight, right? So for me, mm-hmm. you know, the furthest flight, you know, how far can a airplane fly across the Atlantic and it go, you know, so parachuting for me if you know, limiting the instinctual the furthest distance possible takes away the the most uh the most advanced uh you know flight possible you yeah. know the the hardest thing to do would be to fly the furthest a human's ever flown so, so it's interesting to see the different categories i hope they don't get rid of the harness and i hope they don't get rid of the new category for distance because what would they do change it again um yeah. when you say that so first of all give some people a little bit of insight the uh 
for for years enter the gate mm-hmm. and for a while we would just swoop straight through that gate and yeah. go as far as we can and at some point and I, I don't remember who and when they pushed that mm-hmm. hey man if i hit that gate and then pop up like you shoot a bullet up in the sky it's gonna travel further yes so guys were elevating and early on 5 10 15 mm-hmm. feet but you guys started popping up how high at times um well it depends on that old school uh the old i call it old school distance yeah um but yes, when we used to enter a 1.5 meter gate and then fly for as far as we could for 10 meters wide of a distance course, um, w- you know, I at the end there was reaching, you know, dis- heights of 40, 50 feet off the ground again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you think of like like shooting a cannonball from the weight of the cannonball and the amount of gunpowder uh, decides the angle that they're able to shoot this ball. If they shoot it too shallow, it doesn't go as far misses the castle um if they shoot it too high then it goes up but comes back down and uh the perfect angle of projection based off the speed and the amount of gunpowder which would be our power and our speed and lift and uh then you go as far as you can physically go so uh yeah we figured out i uh we crossed we cross channeled speed flying harnesses with belly bands and the first rig that we did was team extreme we took a student harness like we had mirage build a belly band like a basic student belly band but it was sewn into the rig so then i deploy and take off my chest strap and that was the first uh time i had taken jay maletsky's world record in 2006 so we knew it worked and that was more or less after we came through the gate i lean out and start flying and glide up and go really far and come back down and it sort of started that new era of body position and belly bands and the transition from standard vertical stand-up flight to a to a horizontal flight mode, um, and now it's being taken a different direction with the harness being reversed for more mm-hmm. of a speed fly environment, sitting like a speed fly wing, like a paraglider, yeah, yeah. and more of a seated harness. Um, funny thing was, we were doing this in uh, the old days in two thousand and six, two thousand seven. Um, we were flying down the hill with our JVXs and Velos with our regular risers and we had them hooked to uh, just uh, extension clips for rock climbing. So we extended our risers with rock climbing clips and then hooked them into, we had these Mirage ground launch harnesses that would hook in our hips. And this was all the way back in the day in like 2007. So this was before pre generation of almost speed flying in itself as well. And it's just strange to see, you know, like now the sports have evolved and gone such different ways, but now, we're incorporporating harnesses that yeah. ha- attach at the hips now for skydiving so it's cool to see the the evolution change and stuff and you know it's uh it it's nice it keeps people like me interested it keeps you know Ian Bobo going as much as he is you know uh he he was one of the first people I ever watched swoop and he's still competing you know he's still I, pushing hard yeah man. I love that guy yeah it's yeah. it's inspiring to see someone push that hard man because it's it you go through those in and out phases. I love it. You know, I've been doing it for fifteen plus years professionally, but at the same time that or fourteen plus years professionally, but at the same time it's um, you know, it's hard on the body. So I I've mad respect to him for keeping up with it. It is not a uh, old man sport. It is a young man sport by far. So one thing I just got to point out for a second, it, it makes me laugh, but I do agree. Back in the old days, we're referring to like 05, 06, 07. Yeah, no, and it's, that's not even really old. Yeah, it, it isn't, but at the same time, my gosh, how time has flown by. We, we just found out you're 38. Time starts flying the older you get, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's quite amazing. You know, like you blink your eye and next thing you know. It, I think a lot of it, too, is objective changes. You know, we've got all these important things we want to do when we yeah, get yeah. older. And 
our list gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So instead of having feeling like one thing's this whole extended, like the summer when you're a child, it, it feels like we've got a million things to do each day. And I think it just rushes us through our lives too yeah. quick. I also wonder if it's uh, perspective is when I'm 10 years old, one year is 10% of my life. Yeah. Now one uh, year is whatever percent of my life. I can't do math. <laughs> what, so You're Asian, man. Come on. I'm not all Asian stereotypes are true. I can't do math. The rest are. Uh, one <laughs> of the things that you, we were talking about there is how the evolution of the future and how skydiving changes happens through things like competing. And one of the things that, that you mentioned is when you first started laying out, when you first started shifting body position. And I think it's a perfect example of, number one, how it pushed competition further. But now modern young skydivers are learning. It's important that I can lean over my feet so I can stand up landings better. There's some of it not definitely not going to the extreme of swoopers. But a lot of what we've learned through swooping is applying to your everyday basic skydivers. So limiting things like the supine harness, like the mutant, man, what are we going to learn out of this that's going to be standard everyday knowledge in 10 years from now? What, what are we really hindering by shutting it down? Yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it'll benefit. And and I'm as a as someone who doesn't even fly it. I'm interested to see the evolution as people get better and better at flying it. Because clearly we've had them for years and people have been flying them. But where are the parameters? What are the limits? We don't know yet. It hasn't. We haven't pushed that level yet. Um, and it's finally nice to see something changing with the harness, not just the parachute. We've we've evolved the parachute so many times with so many beautiful. Uh, changes that have actually evolved into we took the same designs within zero sports and we evolve all of those design features and the schumann platform and everything we learned from the petra and all of our parachutes at in zero sports gets plant transplanted into all of the new designs so you know it's it's actually because the petra was designed when i first got mine in 2011 the first one ever made it opened better than any parachute that I've ever flown in my life. And it wasn't made for terminal at all. I was, they told me, don't take it to terminal. We don't know if it opens well. And I'm here in Z Hill or down in Z Hills, Florida flying and I'm taking longer delays off the door. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to start taking this thing all the way down to two G's and, and pull and see where this goes. And I was getting this canopy open and it was beautiful as can be. And I was like, wow, I'm going skydiving with this. Like, let's see what happens. So then I, w- I called them up. I said, are you sure you didn't make this to f- open well? And they focused all their design features on the flight. And with anything with parachutes, we're always giving up something for another thing. Like the crew canopies don't land so well, but they stack amazing the way that they're designed. You know, things like this. So um, the accuracy canopies are really good at coming straight down and landing. But at the same point, they're not um, really great landable parachutes all the time for normal jumping. So we're always giving up one feature for another. And it's just amazing to have such an, a parachute that can do so much for swooping, fly at hundred miles per hour, vertical plus, and, um, you know, recover and go horizontal at 90 plus miles an hour. And they still open great. Or they float right next to us, you know, a 135 Sabre at a 1.2 and you're at a three, you know, your wing loading is more than double of what theirs is sometimes. And you're still able to, stay aloft the technology has gone quite far with the designs so it's good to see i think i actually saw a picture on your facebook page of you on a stack with a conventional two uh, nine cell mm-hmm. what size was that um i i've i've stacked any up to like a 170 with a 64 above my head Man. yeah so just coming across the nose really slow you know it's un, it's not a very it's it's not something i would condone for most people yeah, to be no. doing um but but you know i've 
after a long day with the swoop student and a couple drills of us playing around, I've taken a couple of guys up. Uh, I think one of them's Adam Stein and a couple other people at certain points. And, you know, I've, let's, Hey, let's go stack some canopies. You're real intuitive with this. Let's go have some fun. And they're like saber twos and stuff with big yeah. lines and, you know, still, still on the safer side, but it's, you know, it's always a risk, you know, playing with other people's canopies without proper crew parachutes. Um, but it's, it's also really cool to see that visual when the parachute's less than half the size. That really turned something special. I love that photo because the photo of that the stack I saw was from below, mm-hmm. and you could distinctly see such a huge difference between the two wings. Yeah, and I've had I've had photos like that where you can't see my parachute. I'm just sitting on the nose because your yeah. wings just hit them. It's behind just theirs. gone completely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. These aren't things we should do. These are things sure. the proper training, the proper equipment, hook knives. Mm-hmm. And really, almost all my crew experience is on velocities. Sure. Um, right above your head is a two-stack. We did a 90 on the final on that two-stack. That's back in 04, 03. Yep. Uh, actually, at that point, uh, was uh, Fast Track Swoop was still a team. Yep. So Scott, Ray Dodge. Oh, sure. They were training in Greensburg, Indiana. Cash Seeky. Yeah, Cash. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I remember uh, this. Yeah, wonderful people. Yeah. And they were doing a lot of training with us. They mm-hmm. didn't train us for that particular stunt, but that sure. was my 3,000th jump, it's, so we had fun. It is amazing. And for anybody watching out there, if you haven't looked back into the, some of the older older videos of conventional parachute flying, parabatics and swooping stuff from oh, yeah. the late 90s, um, Man, they were they were doing things that are so dangerous and so cool, but like you know things that were like okay nowadays, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, and and four person stack, you know JVXs and mm-hmm. or VXs and VLOs, you know going head to head and doing just some of the world's best athletes doing the best that they can do out there. And um, it was cool to see because a lot of the focus wasn't just on competition, but also on doing stunts and and performing as teams. Dude, when Team Extreme was doing a lot of the shows and whatnot, mm-hmm. and of course, I'm sure you remember those days, yep. that was some beautiful flying. That's, I think, mm-hmm. when I had the most exposure. I, I started in the late 90s and spent up till 01 in Elsinore. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time around JC and Luigi, sure. which I guess Lewis now. Yeah. Uh, Heath Richardson, I'm sure you remember him. Yeah, um, yeah that was the, all the, you know, the big names. And yeah. it's, you know, it's crazy, too, in the sport because those, those names, they... Um, they fade with time, you know, because the new jumpers have no idea who I'm talking about sometimes when I mention, like, the greatest swooper, you know, of the greatest of his time. Who's that? Like, I don't know this. I don't even know this name in skydiving. I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, I'm getting old. All right, here we go. Because it's changed so much, you know, and I'm like, wait, that's going to be me in a certain amount of years. Like, who's that guy? I don't. And, you know, honestly, that's fine. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, the best part, somebody once told me, uh, how's it feel to be an old washed up has been? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm an old washed up never was because really <laughs> I, I I own the rating center. I'm an examiner. My main focus is training instructors and coaches. But man, the part that I like the most is I look behind and, and you talk about training your competitors and training the people who are replacing you is mm-hmm. to look back and see how badass the people you worked with are today. To yeah. sit there and see them shine. They're, it's It's rewarding. Like if I was... If it, a lot of us feel you got to kind of pass on your message, like what did we put our money into this for? Like what you, it was passionate, right? You you cared about it, you loved it. That's why you got really good at it. Um, but but at the end of the day, are you going to take that with you? And what are you going to do with it later? You got to share that with the world. Like if you found a secret that's different or something that you know you've spent your entire career trying to develop to make this one part of the sport what it is. Um, you know, I don't know when I'll stop coaching. I'm not sure when I'll 
retire completely. And I'm on a hiatus right now for sure. Um, so for me, uh, you know, sharing that passion with uh, other people and giving them the best I can do is also super rewarding. Um, you know, your good day is my good day. It's, uh, it's fun to coach and, and work with people and, I, I really enjoy it. You know, outside of skydiving, I'm actually quite an introvert. I don't really go out and socialize a whole bunch or go drinking at the bar all the time or stuff like that. So it's nice to work with my peers on something I love to do. Yeah. You say you don't know when you'll ever stop coaching. Um, and really, that's what your heaviest focus has been lately is coaching. Mm-hmm. First of all, just from what I've seen of you this last week, um, I've, I've not actually ever met you before. Sure. And this week I was looking for a chance to talk. She's like, man, I want to see if Nick would be a good guy to be on the show. Mm-hmm. I kind of listen and observe because the last thing I want to do is get a guy to come on the show. I'm like, hey, Nick, how you doing? Good. So what are you doing today? <laughs> Coaching. You know, it would just be such a quick shutdown. And very quickly I saw your enthusiasm. You're working with a group of Qataris right now. I hope that's okay we say who they yeah, are. Yeah, that's okay. fine. Yeah. Yeah. A group of Qatari fellows right now. And even working with them, even with a nice language barrier, watching how you interact with them, engage with them, it's super mm-hmm. – I can tell you're enjoying your time, even when they make you work hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, like I said, my, it's, it's a passion. And, and the second that I'm not passionate about it to a point, you know, and I've had moments where I was injured. I, I didn't teach for six months after my injury because I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to put forward it's any of my negativity about how I feel about what I did to myself in the sport or being injured and take away from my students. Um, I've also broken an ankle before in Dubai and then worked for 30 days straight with a broken ankle on crutches. When I hit a certain point, I got tired of tired of doing it and tired of, you know, being there at that moment. I, I was being asked by some of the world's best. Like, what will you say? Come on, coach some more. Stay. It's like, I, I, it's not good for you. It's a toxic environment if I'm not into it because then it's not something I'm just teaching a curriculum. I'm not teaching a individual at that point. There's no passion. There's no personal exchange. It's just do this, do this like robots, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I, I really like that. Um, I like to work with my students and, you know, try to build that relationship because a lot of it, uh, a lot of this coaching is it's so in depth now, especially with the swooping and it's hard for other parts of the sport maybe to understand coaching with swooping um, because it's different than coaching with traditional skydiving. I mean, there's this put them to their limits, but keep them alive at the same time thing going on. And at a given moment, I could, you know, mess up their altitudes or give them way too much information for the moment um, resulting in maybe an injury or possibly worse. And, I think that's what changes the swoop coaching from other coaching in the in the, the aspects of the sport. There is a lot of risk in other disciplines, but with the with the swooping, it's like put them as close as you can to the edge, and then make sure you teach them how to pull them back a little bit. You know, it's it's right there on that fine line. So you have to be passionate about it because you're dealing with people's lives, and um, and they're paying you for your expertise because they know it's dangerous. So they want you to keep them alive. Yeah. So. Teach them just enough not to kill themselves. Yeah. Here, put them to that, to that edge and then teach them how to pull themselves back yeah, out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a, a, it's a challenge. But that's why I respect so many different coaches who do it so well. Um, you know, some, you know I, some of my, my rivals are also in competing, competing and swooping are also, you know, wonderful coaches as well. And they own their own curriculums and do their own courses and stuff and, yeah, it's it's neat to see all of the best, and and I know certain individuals are very passionate about it, also. So it's nice to see that. 
Greg comes to mind when mm-hmm. we talk about somebody who's passionate and has his own yeah. version, his own curriculum. And I say that complimentary. I'm not yeah, saying yeah. that in a negative way. Yeah. I really, uh, I like, I love that window licker. And if you know Greg, <laughs> that's his favorite word. I'm not that he loves using that word, doesn't he? Window licker. Can, can you oh. elaborate? <laughs> Yeah, Kids on the short bus lick the windows is his, oh, okay. his yeah, reference there. I'm not, <laughs> this is how Greg uses some, it. Some of the analogies that boy comes up with, but he, oh, uh, he's, he's yeah, I love that man. Um, <laughs> actually, I taught. I was a. I was one of the first coaches with Greg um, in Paris Valley in early 2007, 2008 when I was on the the World Parabatic Stunt Team, the second team extreme with mm-hmm. Jim Sladen. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, I think Jess was on that team. Yeah, and this was this was prior to that. Uh, just when she before she had joined up, uh, it was Kevin Love, a couple other people. Oh, yeah. Um, Justin Thornton did a demos with us. We went over into uh, Dubai and to Alain and did an air show for the Prince in '07. Actually, uh, way before uh, Scott of Dubai ever existed. For, uh, so that was really neat. That was cool. But I got a little bit off track right there. <laughs> but, we do it all show. But. <laughs> But yeah, um, so it's just uh, with all those different names and all. Where was I going with that, dude? I, I would love to hear more of that story. Yeah, about going to Dubai. We chase rabbits that, nonstop. We're sorry. known for it. So I just yeah, I just went right off track. No, Keep dude, going. there's not really a track. Honestly, if yeah. you have a story that you want to tell, well, I'd, Dubai I'd be happy was to hear that Dubai story. was different back then because Alain was. I mean, we flew in and you know it was uh, 07 was much different than the first world you know world DIPC they had there in 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14. You know and and so on. So when we got there, it was just a total culture shock, you know, obviously, because it was um, kind of new to them. Got drove, driven out to this air show. Um, that's where I met uh, Nasser, uh, which is one of the Prince's right hand guys. And he used to do demos out there and he, you know, was new to it, too. They weren't all friends. Uh, so it was really cool to see that. And then the first year we went to Dubai for the DIPC, they decided to hold this competition, the world's competition. And Someone had mentioned, I think it was Omar, or someone. Remember Omar from the old um, allegedly, yeah, yeah, from from the those free fly, the really cool videos yeah, yeah. from back in the day. Man, what is that? I can't remember the name of that video. From but Wings Came Flight. No, yeah, and there's a bunch of there was a bunch of them, but yeah, free fly clowns. Yeah, anybody who's listening, if you ever could look up any of these old skydiving videos, really, there was a lot of talent back then. It was really yeah. cool to see. Um, the size of the suits, how we were flying, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Balloon suits, basically, yeah. for free flying. Pretty much serving pizzas. I still serve pizzas. I don't know how to fly. <laughs> you know, like it's pretty funny. But yeah, um, so someone said, "Hey, let's throw drops on here." Like that would be cool. And then you know, next thing you know, Prince got word of it and said, "Okay." And they bought a piece of property that was actually supposed to be a hotel being built there. They like said, "No, we're not building a hotel. We're going to put the drops on here." Now that we had the first DIPC here. And then that's how it all started. And then Skydive Dubai started from there. So, and then I guess they bought Spain. They bought another one. I think they have one in Qatar. And there's quite a few SD facilities. You know, not as many as Spaceland. Skydive Spaceland's got what, like five or six places uh, now. Five. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite a few. But yeah, um, n- not the smallest. But there's a there's a few people pushing, like Steve is. Yeah, for sure. So. But yeah, it was really cool to um, to see the evolution of the the country. Not only, I mean, if you think of a country like it's forty years old as a nation, and I was there fifteen years prior to now, almost. You know, that's a so you've seen almost half of its life. <laughs> that's a really long time. Yeah, it was really yeah. quite a change. You know, and but also, you know, when you see change in something because you've been there for a long time, you don't see it very much. But when you fly in and out, and you're only there for a few months a year, there's 
drastic change every year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would see a lot because I was always a con. I would always fly in, work, do some sponsored jumps, fly home after a month or forty five days, and then go stay home for a month, go back, do it again, and it was a lot of fun. There was money there. There was tons of uh, competitions. The even the small ones in the desert had cash on them, so it was nice when you won those. You know, yeah, yeah it was really good for the sport. I think. And at, there's at not the been t- a lot of money in our sport. Unfortunately, you know, with with not being able to able to advertise, I think us to to the children market. You know, the closest thing we're getting is the wind tunnels at this point, and yeah. and even then, it's got to be a pretty wealthy family if they're going to have their kids uh, full time in a tunnel, ripping it up nonstop. You know, yeah. um, or Noah skydiver. Usually, I, I'm assuming there's nowadays there's people who've never. The families aren't even skydivers. The kids went to a tunnel in some place, and they're shredding now. It's pretty amazing to yeah. see, uh, you know, all these little kids, the Wittenberg kids that used to be skydivers, dude. Skydive Dubai sponsored. Yeah, they're yeah. amazing. Wasn't um, Team Future not skydiver family? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I remember Team Future. That was they so, were out of Colorado or yeah, something, yeah. right? Like, because yeah. I remember a bunch of stuff when I used to live up there for yeah. 12 years. Yeah, there's um, I'm not sure what Team Future um. It was a little boy and girl or something. Little like boy that? and girl, brother yeah. and sister. Yeah, the boy was younger. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not and sure. God, I I want to say Noah, but now I'm going to the Wittenberg suddenly doing that. Um, God, I can't remember their names, but their their mothers pushed pretty hard for them, and and I don't believe she had anything to do with skydiving at all. Yeah, I always thought you know that's what I thought when speed flying came around. I'm like, this is our chance to introduce this to kids more because yeah. you know, and and obviously there are kids, and Noah speed flies too. Yeah. Um, it's just amazing to see what the like. Man, when I was a kid, like I was handed like a bicycle and said, like, this is the best <laughs> thing you're going to get, you know, like and these these kids are flying down mountains on a parachute. So I'm like, give me a break. This oh is God. not even fair. Justin and Kayla Tanucci. Yeah. Tanucci. Okay. Wind tunnel kids. Yep. Team Future. Yep. Yeah, and I think at this point, I don't know if they're doing anything anymore. For a while, they were yeah, pushing this, hard. This video is a few years old. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I think I think, like I said, the money thing, you know, the, the sport's expensive. I. Uh, you know, some some places have great deals on tunnel time, and other places don't. And I've heard I've heard a lot of things about certain tunnels. You know, in Russia, like six hundred bucks an hour, and it seems like more of a regular thing now too. Uh, where there's, I'm not going to say too many, but I think there's like thirty or forty tunnels in the United States now. It's quite extensive. How many different places have them? Multiple tunnels in different places. So it's hard to sustain that 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 um, when there's not as as small of amount, especially with the fun jumpers. Yeah so much availability there's two here in houston dallas has mm-hmm. how many high fly high flies dallas fort worth oh gosh do they have one they might have two i they wow. have two and then they have uh, urban air so it's just a small different tunnel mm-hmm. but uh i think chicago area has three i flies is that right nick yeah there's three uh neighbor uh, i don't remember the name naperville yeah rosemont and yeah, one park yeah one of my friends just took over as like one of the major roles in that development type thing he's more up up or up now and um yeah he's doing really well and i guess he you know he's uh it's it's cool to see a lot of my friends actually i've been roommates with people who work in the wind tunnel my brother-in-law has worked in the wind tunnel is you know for most of his career um it's crazy how you the sport stays around you always around all you know it doesn't matter it's just we're inbred yeah everybody's (laughs) just like oh i know that guy i don't know if we got the story of how you started skydiving um well i you know, that's I know you hadn't. I when I first started jumping, um, we had we had had a uh, it's a little little touching, but not too bad. Uh, we had had a death in the family, and I was looking for a new sport. I just got out of high school. Was kind of depressed about it. 
um, didn't really feel like super alive about everything at the time. And my friend's like, let's go do a skydive, you know, like the let's go have fun. So we trained up for the course and that day it rained, you know, after eight hours of ground school and then it rains and you're like, are you kidding me? It's been clear all day. Like (laughs) I really want to jump. So was fortunate enough to go back uh, the next weekend, like May 28th, 2001. And I did my first skydive and I, I was like, holy crap, that's a hell of a sport. What an adrenaline rush that made me feel alive again. Like I was like, this is awesome. So I did a second jump same day and I had, just got out of high school. I was working a job for a company being like a manager of a junkie motel on the side of the road, you know, and, <laughs> you know, I just like remember doing that job and my front desk person quit on me and he said, I'm, I'm not working anymore. I'm quitting. I'm going, these guys are staying in your hotel and they're got this contracting job for these cable companies. We're just swapping out digital boxes for cable boxes and I'm making a ton of money. I'm like, what is that? All right. So, you know, I'm 19 years old. I'm smart. I, I walk back to that room. I say, what is going on? My, my front desk person just quit on me. I don't care about that. He said that he's making a bunch of money with you. I want in. And he goes, okay, cool. Like, I'd love for you to work with me. Sweet. So, you know, he's getting paid a bunch because I'm getting paid a bunch. And our job was literally just to go around and tell people that they need to swap their cable to digital boxes. So I was making... Sixty, seventy thousand dollars working thirty hours a week, nineteen years old, no college education. I'm like, what am I going to do with you know? I'm skydiving, right? Oh, and I dropped it. I did like four hundred jumps my first year. I think it was like four hundred and ten. Week in the only drop zone. We had an otter um, in Missouri, Sullivan, Missouri. So we were open like Friday, Saturday, Sundays, mostly, you know. And I'd work all week for four days a week, and I'd go just jump, jump, jump. Um, And so I fell in love with it. I did a lot of jumps. I had. I uh, was lucky enough to have a uh, couple people. Jim Cowan, Scott Cowan were the uh, United States champions of crew. Um, I believe they possibly could have been world champions in crew as well. I'm not familiar, um, but they own the drop zone. And they saw in myself a talent at a young age for canopy skills. I was landing accuracy instantly before I had my, you know, seven jumps done. I already had three in the, the target and, I had a passion. I was like, wow. I saw Ian Bobo and James Letsky and Sham Pilcher come to our drop zone and do these swoops. And they swooped down into the ditch. We had this big ditch and then mm-hmm. flew back out. And I'm like, I want to do that. <laughs> like, that's awesome. That is like, whatever that is, like, that's what I like flying parachutes. This is cool. And then within a small amount of time, uh, I was begging to do things. I was under a 135. Uh, saber two right off the bat very young jump number uh by 200 jumps uh i had already gone down to a 97 stiletto i was doing 270s and getting yelled at by my drop zone owner because he told me i couldn't jump that parachute so i went to vendalia illinois and jumped it and then this was my first realization that's archway yeah i realized how small the drop zone world is was the first time i i went somewhere else and then came back i'm like i got 200 jumps now i can jump this parachute your drop zone he goes you think i'm stupid i you think i don't know what's going on you went over to archway yeah and you did that skydive over there you did 30 jumps under that canopy i was talking to the owner about it he's like so you come back here you jump your 120 stiletto and you do all your jumps those 30 jumps here and then you can jump that canopy 
he put me in my place, and I'm like, wow, this skydiving world's small. Isn't, <laughs> isn't that great advice, though, for a new skydiver? If I you're going to go do the shitty thing somewhere else, there's a really good chance that the person you're hiding it from yeah. is going to find out about it. Oh, my God. It was crazy. I was like, wow, this sport is small. Oh, yeah. We, I get phone calls all the time. I get messages on Facebook. I get phone calls from business owners, from people who run drop zones. Hey, will you vouch for this guy? He's under this parachute. He said he's had a few courses with you. What do you think about him? You know, I mm-hmm. mean, as a, as someone in the sport who's trained people or you uh, have represented and seen a lot of a lot of people want to know if you were there, like, hey, what happened with that? You know, um, so it's it's kind of cool to be able to to provide some information for stuff like that, too. Yeah. yeah. So now here you are years later, man. Let's see. Oh, I can't do math, man. Yeah. Well, 18 years later. Sure. sure. Would you tell young you to slow down on how quickly you downsized? Um, you know, I mean, yeah, it's hard, you know, but I've also had those like, man, I've had, I've had students that are like the unicorn student that should be doing something way more advanced, but the country he's living in doesn't allow it, you know, like, and I've seen it hard in certain places, you know, like, uh, note to other people traveling, you know, you come out here just cause you have experience at your home drop zone doing something and you're allowed to do it there doesn't mean you're going to Australia and they're going to be cool with it because they're much more strict about their canopies rules uh, mm-hmm. at certain young jump numbers that I've seen and different places like that. So, and also respect the environments. Obviously everything changes with the altitudes and the views and all the different, but, uh, but yeah, I would say for sure. So I thought I had a little bit of an aggressive uh, path. I had like a one point, mm-hmm. three wing loading at 20 jumps. And of course people were jumping my case and giving me grief. Yep. I had a buddy teaching me to swoop, and I, I'm not going to say I was a natural ewer, but definitely canopy. Never had a problem learning mm-hmm. that. When people say, hey, how do you flare? I'm thinking, how do you not flare, bro? It's like, it's pretty easy. Sure. And, and so I push pretty hard, but I definitely promote most people take a smarter path than I did. Mm-hmm. But back to it, there there are the unicorns. Yeah, and, and you get those people, and you're just, I mean, it, I, I've seen it a few times before in the sport and stuff. You know, like, it's almost like as a... And swooping, it's an individual sport, so it's it's like you know you're calling out your favorite teams to like win this year's Super Bowl, you yeah. know. So it's like like who's gonna win this year, you know? So if you're a belly flyer, you call out whoever, like Hayabusa or whoever you want, you think's gonna win. You're mm-hmm. you know you got your call outs, and it's always interesting in swooping because it's such an individual sport, you know, to uh, to try to make that that classification who's gonna be the next world champion. But sometimes, man, you just see it, you know, like when I. When I joined teams with Kurt and Jeannie originally back in uh, 2010, it was it was an intuition point. There was, you know, I had lost a few team members for uh, through swooping accidents that were involved with an air show team that we had, um, and I was I needed some some people around me that were loving and caring and could take care of you know helping the sport and stuff. And at that time, it fit in really well, and I. I I saw Kurt as being like one of those, like, Hey, that guy's going to be something someday. Um, you know, like I see it in certain competitors, you know, how much heart do they have? Like Cornelia, uh, how she puts herself in there. Um, you know, Cedric, the big man on the campus, a new guy coming out swinging last year for me at the world championships. Uh, it's great to see these new blood that are just coming hard, you know, cause for a long time it was just Kurt and I battling head to head and, and we were kind of a bit ahead of everyone else, but, but man, everybody's doing so amazing now that the what it took to win in 2006 or 2011 World Championships is nothing 
compared to what it takes to win in 2019, 2018. The talent level is so extremely high in every pool. The slightest mistake, and you're completely out of the running. So that really takes me backwards a little bit. Some conversations we've had. I do a lot of backtracking. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, that's fine. Um, One of the things we talked about a little bit ago is popping up, getting 40, 50 feet up in the sky, Mm -hmm. and making these distance runs. I want to talk about, A, how far were we making it? How far are you making on those distance runs? And then take it into now the new rules of dragging water and how far these runs are making it. Sure. Um, So the first world record that I had broken was 149 by Jay Maletsky, 149 meters, which is from the time you go through a 1.5 meter gate with a laser on it uh-huh. to the time you touch the ground inside the course. Can we get some feedage on that? Feedage, 100, is that the right word? 149 meters is like, what is that? Like 449 meters. What's 149 Four, meters? That series is going to be 478 slow. feet or something like that? 488.8. Do 487.488. Yeah. Okay, so. You're fast. Uh, just, no, I should know it after all these years. <laughs> but um, so with the new body position, I busted 156. Okay, but this was at Colorado. This is a mile high. This is the highest altitude that you could swoop at, right? So, you know, this isn't back in 06 with some of the highest altitude you could swoop at. So that was a really long distance back then. Then as we progressed, it was 165, 175. Uh, South Africa, 2008, 2009, broke two records, like 179, 185. Um, Records kept pushing. Um, And there's been moments where, like, I've broken... I broke my world record. The next run, Jay Maletsky broke my world record. Then I have to sleep on it because I don't have a run till the next day. And then I broke my world record back the next day. Was that 13? In uh, 2009 in South Africa. And so, I mean, it's intense sometimes. You know, like Pablo's taking my record uh, in Z Hills in 13, I think you're thinking of. And then the next day I took it back. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, like these are these are crazy tight games. But now, off track, backtrack. Um <laughs> In 2011, with the Petra at Mile High, it was hitting 222 meters consistently, um, and that was a new parachute with like three months of jumping it prior to the meet. So there wasn't, and the one that I was flying in the meet was actually three feet larger, and I hadn't had much experience because I figured it's higher altitude. I think if it was a little bigger, it might fly further. Um, but yeah, 222 meters was uh, 739 feet, two and a half football fields ish. Um, from the time I enter into the gate to the time touch the land. And that's with pop-ups. Yeah, that's with popping up like 15, 25 feet in the air, somewhere in the rough 20 feet, 20 feet, 15, 20 feet at the time. I wasn't going real high because I didn't know the parachute, didn't know what it could do, couldn't trust it to go sail back down softly. You know, it was, um, it was a, it's, it's always been a trying game. I had a real bad accident in the world championships in 2017 in Dubai, I should have brought you footage. I mean, I I impacted on a downwind distance run practicing four days before the world meet. Um, let my hands up just a little bit right as I impacted new parachute, second jump on it, first jump on new lines. And I wasn't familiar and I felt like it was stalling. So I let the canopy out a little bit, smacked on my butt, scorpioned instantly, about 10, 15 meters, about 40 feet on my face. And the GoPro broke off, ripped my upper lip down. And then a huge contusion on my butt cheek, all messed up. Uh, three days, two days of Epsom salt baths just to get m- mobile, and then compete at the World Championships. But these are things that, like competitors, you're gonna you're gonna take hits sometimes, but sometimes it's unexpected. You know, uh, we've had accidents that happen in the sport and swooping, and sometimes it's your fault, sometimes it's not. I've had judges in the middle of the course while I'm coming through it, the speed course in a two point one five second run, and 
they're right behind a buoy and they shouldn't be there. Split second reaction to save yourself. Um, just, you know, it's, it's, uh, most of us are traveling hundred miles an hour mm-hmm. nowadays, vertical, which is about 150 feet a second closing speed. So the reaction times got to get really on it nowadays. If you think about in the early days, we're going 60 or seventies, you know, mm-hmm. and so we're really at that cusp of what is the human reaction time capable of? Can, can you receive the message and then make an input quick enough? And, you know, that's the, uns- the unfortunate side of what we do. Um, the faster and faster we start going, the, you know, the more risk involved, you know, as in any sport, uh, that's, that's really what, what's going to start hurting people. And it's never, you know, I've never gotten hurt really bad with the deflection being real horizontal. It's always that angle of incident, you know, and I've seen it a time and time again, even with a tandem parachute and a student in a tandem parachute, a fatality because they turn too low. It doesn't matter what size parachute you have. If you hit too straight down, yeah. it's like jumping off a building. You know, Skipping across the ground doesn't normally hurt that yeah. bad. Yeah, it's not as bad as, you know, and people don't realize, but it's that ang- that's what hurt me is the angle of incident. First skip on the water doesn't hurt. Um, that'll just flip you upside down your harness or throw you around. It's sometimes that landing, the second landing, if it's on land, and that's what got me. It's my biggest fear for my entire career, and it, it happened this, just this last year during a two-way when I put myself low. And I barely got out of the dive, caught my knees, flipped me upside in the harness, and we're just cruising, you know. So at, at that 90-plus mile an hour horizontal speeds, there's not much time for mistakes. And the newer parachutes fly really far, too, you know. Mm-hmm. You remember when we used to crash in the water and you'd see in these videos and they just flip through your canopy and they just collapse? Because the t- parachute technology was horrible. Yeah. I mean, we used to just design parachutes on paper and then put a theory to mine, and then they would go out and test jump it. But now it's fluid dynamics engineers figuring out what to build, how to build it in a computer realm, and then printing out on a you know digital scale this canopy to be sewn together. Now test it out. You know, yeah. it's that they fly so efficiently that after we crash, they keep flying. And they go forever, man. Yeah, and that's that's part of the danger I speak of is that with the new technology, people are so hur- in such a hurry to get under these Petras and these Valkyries and these Leias and the and the, the PD uh, Peregrines and the HKs and the HKTs and all these really I call them ultra performance parachutes. But at the end of the day, when something goes wrong under them, it goes way wrong compared to a traditional parachute that would be more likely to save your life. You know, a lot more forgiving. Yeah, a lot more forgiving. So you know. you've, you've talked about this uh, most recent accident. Have yeah. you had a lot of uh, injuries in skydiving? Uh, I've had a few, you know, but most of them I walked away from, you know, like stretched back, you know, you know, frapped in real hard in the water. But God, I love that word, frapped in. Just, for, you know, <laughs> like that whole like, yeah, you know, dude, I, I know it. Yeah. And I mean, I've I've hit so hard in the years past. Uh, lucky to be here, honestly. Um, but but yeah, uh, mostly just small things like broken thumb, you know neck stretched out ligaments from the top of my neck to the bottom of my spine from feet knees face flip upside down weight belt got ripped off at 80 miles an hour and thrown across the pond 20 30 meters before it impacted the (laughs) pond again it's 35 pounds man it's like the that's a lot of momentum yeah it ripped the buckles it actually it tore off my stomach it came off my stomach so fast it was actually under my rig and it still ripped out Wow. Just to give you an idea. And it came Damn. off my stomach so fast that it ripped my abdomen underneath the skin. So it gave me a, a hernia from the from the plastic ripping across the surface of uh, laterally across your, your stomach tissue. Ooh. So it was like, wow, that was a hell of a crash. Um, 
But nothing, yeah, th- nothing hurt me as much as this last one. This last one really, unfort- unfortunately, I really cost myself uh, pretty badly here with my career at the moment. So that's why I'm not at Nationals. That's why I didn't compete against Kurt and those guys this mm-hmm. year. Um, obviously, I'm focusing more on my coaching. Um, uh, also, my, wa- my wife just went back to, to anesthesia school for nursing and so I'm kind of the breadwinner at the moment, which is a scary thought. By a, <laughs> man, crazy. coaching sure must pay better than competing, right? Uh, it does, but that's what you know. It's it's different. That's what used to drive my co- competing. You know, that's my coaching's what paid for my competitions. Now my coaching's what's paying for my wife and my life. You know, it's a little different for the moment, but we'll get through. As soon as she's done with school, it'll be all. Yeah, then she's gonna owe you. That, well, it's okay. <laughs> I think it'll pay back pretty quick, so. dude. I'm a big advocate of marry up. Yep. You mentioned we live in a nice neighborhood. Yep. I'm a full-time skydiver. Mm-hmm. Do the math. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, I feel you. Yeah, my wife's the better half of me. She's she's really the brainiac. I'm more the sports fanatic guy, you yeah. know, um, for sure. And But but I, lo- I love her to death for putting up with me. I don't know what she was thinking. I love to say she's the brains and the good looks. I'm just the comic relief. Yeah. And as Nick knows me, he probably would agree to that pretty well. I mean, let's say the attempted comic relief. I love <laughs> you. You're not hitting all the time, you know? Yeah, well, we all get better with age, we would hope. You know? Oh, no, I just laugh at myself more with age. They just laugh at me yeah. more with age, not with me. That's something I do nowadays, you know, like you throw that, you throw your, you throw your $600,000 phone on the floor and you just laugh because you're just like, man, I <laughs> like fucking nothing to do about that. Like, I just yeah. don't get upset about the stupid sh- shit anymore. It's just not even, it's not even something. I mean, we've all been through so many deaths and so many different parts of the sport that's so hard. Yeah. Actually, I had my, my mother-in-law ask me, she's like, she goes, so why, what would you, why don't you just quit doing what you do? Because then you wouldn't be around it all the time. I said, well, I'm, I'm, I don't think the sport, you understand the sport. I'm so ingrained right now. I know most of the professional base jumpers, much less the skydivers, because it's such a small sport. And that's what most of the listeners probably don't realize. You know, when you get at a certain level, you travel around the world, you see the same people everywhere. You run into the same guys everywhere. Uh, I think it's one of the parts I'm going to miss most. Like if I were to cu- stop going to the world championships all the time, stop going, I'm not seeing my friends. I get to see multiple times a year that I've seen for the last 10 years. You know, um, I think that's one of the hard parts about retiring, you know, or quitting to do something uh, is losing that, that connection with people um, that you've developed those friendships from other countries, you know, and everybody sees that in the sport as the older you get. But like I said, the sport's super small. So even at that point, I was like, well, at the end of the day, I'm still going to, unless I crawl under a rock and I go live in a cave somewhere without internet, I'm still going to know about every single thing that ever happens. Yeah. Like we're in a prime age of social media explosion to where you can't even have a fart without someone knowing about it halfway across <laughs> the world. You know what I mean? Someone it's, caught it's, you on Snapchat. It's seriously crazy, man. Like, so, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why the whole mentality of the sports changed so much. Like the boogies more focused on skydiving disciplines as well because nowadays you know the people who used to have fun and do things they shouldn't be doing maybe they were uh, behind the scenes and now that everybody has the phone out so they're looking at it it could be something that could be easily put into a out of context situation um so a lot of people are very focused now because there's not you know it's not as much play as much as it was back when we first started jumping and cell phones barely existed yeah you know. We didn't get to see what was badass thing was going on. Yeah, yeah. We would have to wait for that cool video to come out. That would take, like, I don't know, seemed like ages. And out then the something blue. new comes out. Because people, you know, like, nowadays, like, everybody's got a GoPro. So there's, like, and I, I'm, hey, I, I run, like, two in practice. I'm no one to be, <laughs> like, I, if I'm doing stunts, I'll run, like, five or six. Everybody's doing this, right? But 
at the end of the day, everybody's in such a hurry to like broadcast their cool thing they did that day for free. It doesn't even have the value that it used to. And when we first started, like it was like people coveted like my precious, like this, this, this is my free fly footage. No, you can't even see the jump until the video, you know, like, mm-hmm. and they would go and make this sick video and whether it was for a film festival or whatever, people were super secretive about their, their footage. And then that obviously turned into really cool videos. That's how I think the motivation behind a lot of those older videos was, was like to put me, put me out there, but that's all they had back then. Yeah. So this is now it's just a lot easier on the social platform to, to put yourself a hundred percent out there and get a whole bunch of likes or a whole bunch of really hardcore responses. You know, the sports, um, a little rude sometimes in good ways though, <laughs> you know, like fucking people are ruthless They're on brutal, Facebook, man. man. Oh my God. Oh my god! But I've done it too. Like I mean, I've seen some really stupid shit for swooping or something someone's done, and you know, you'll see Kurt or Greg or myself or other people jump in on that thread and be like, "Hey, wait a second! Like this might be what's going on here," or like that was taught or was that was not a taught discipline. So I think that that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. So um, I but, really miss the day though of waiting for Free Fly Chronicles to come out or uh, Free Fly Millennium, uh, Children of the Corn. Out of the Blue is one you probably know well. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, first skydiving video I ever made it in was Out of the Blue. I don't know if you remember that DVD. And I was in the crash section. So yeah, okay. that's how I made it. A spectacular. Well, you know, I, if I, if <laughs> I go home, pull out my DVD binder, I guarantee I got it in there. Yeah. There's all those old school PST whatevers. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were, it was cool, but that was like I was saying, like it was a different, a little bit of a different sport back then, but also they had, they had really grandiose ideas. They had amazing things they wanted to do. They never executed perfectly, you know, a bunch of skydivers trying to run professional sporting events also, you know, with no, no, no clue, clue how to do it. And if they had the right guidance, it was a little ahead of its time, you know, Um, but, but man, I, some of those guys are doing like 20 competitions a year back then in the early night, late nineties and Jim was hustling. And now, you know, we're begging to get five or six in if, and there's nothing like it used to be, you know, yeah. not like that. I'm happy so. though to say, I think it's resurging because yeah. at some point it really swooping and can't, sure. I really died, sure. especially with the death of all the ponds on the West coast. Yes. Yeah. And it seems in the last few years, really more than any, that it's just, it's climbing back up. Yeah, and, and people are, well, I think it also helped the, the newer technology and wings and the, you know, the, the advancement and the, the coaching available. And people are now, like, getting, well, it's fun, too. I mean, let's be honest, tons of adrenaline, lots lots of good times, hanging out with your friends, talking about how much you sucked sometimes, you know, like yeah. making fun of each other. I mean, the camaraderie and swooping is quite interesting it's just a bunch of frat brothers making fun of each other and calling each other pussies the whole time pretty much so um but i have a lot of fun with my students you know like you know once we start getting comfortable and we've developed a friendship and a relationship we you know it's a give take there's a lot of there's a lot of shit talking sometimes between them i'll jump in a little bit if i need to you know how often does it come back your way oh it sometimes but not a lot you know like (laughs) i would think not a lot depends it depends though like like my you know and i'm not my danish group like when I work with the Danes, like they, we've, we've, I've worked in and out with them for seven or eight years with like, you know, Kurt worked in and out with them as well, as well, a whole lot. And I mean, literally it's just a shit talking fest, the entire camp, you know, it's, it's pretty much just the, we're so comfortable with each other at this point that it's, you know, when we're not coaching, it's, it's, they're pretty much giving me shit the whole time, 
And that's fine. I mean, it's their way of retaliating because the whole time I'm coaching them, I'm ripping their turns apart. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, well, this all sucks. Fix everything. You know, and <laughs> so yeah, it it turns into uh, you know they they have a lot of fun with it. And I'm I'm one of those. If you can't if you can't take it, don't dish it because it's not it's not a game that you're gonna have yeah. fun with. And it's nice know. to know that they can dish it back at you because you know yeah. they're comfortable with you. Yeah, for you sure. You know the brotherhood is now there. Yeah, it's a relationship. Like, if I have a New York student, I prefer to get, like, two or three good days with them. It's hard with a new person just doing a single day in and out because it'll take me a few jumps to even get to know where they're at. And then also I've got to read them as a person and start to understand mentally where they're at. You know, like, what what kind of individual is this? Are they, are, are they a, a risk taker on a normal daily basis or are they a little bit more reserved and I don't know what they're doing. I'm not asking people about the social life. I'm just saying after I watch them fly a few times, I start to get to know their quirks pretty fast. And after doing it for, I don't know, the 13 years of teaching and uh, I've been teaching my own curriculum, you know, doing nothing but coaching for over a decade now. Um, I, I just feel like I'm very intuitive and I'm very uh, much a people person. So I can, I can adapt and I can read people really easily. Mm. Uh, coming from some of my previous jobs, uh, that cable job turned into a collection job. I collected money for seven years. It's mm. real easy to start reading people when that's your job for a living is to figuring out how you need to get what you need out of these people. And so. coaching is the same thing. I need you to do this turn in mm-hmm. this place. How do I convey that message to you? Yeah. Because one guy, hey, bro, do this. And he does. Yep. The next guy, 10 jumps to get him to understand the same thing the mm-hmm. other dude did in one jump. Yeah. And language barriers to other countries and things like that. It always has a role in this type of situation as well. Um, so, but, but I really, yeah, I really enjoy the repeat groups. I like to work with people year after year. I love it when they continue their progression outside of me and then we can work <clears> on new stuff each time. Sometimes it becomes stagnant if the country that they're from doesn't get to jump six months a year. So it turns into more refresher a lot than it is something new. You know, the people who are pushing 12 months a year jumping are making more progression than the person taking a lot of time off. Do, so. you, do you have many longstanding groups that, yeah. that you work with? Yeah, and a lot of it, longstanding individuals and people come in, they fall out, you know, throughout the years and then they switch coaches. So, um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, uh, you know, like I've, I, I don't do a lot of advertising. I'm not... I'm really horrible at social media, actually. You know, for my own personal benefit, I would do way better if I just made a web page and then started putting my dates out for my camps. Um, unfortunately, for the public, what that means is a lot of my camps are more private. You know, a lot of people call me up and say, like Logan Donovan each year is like, hey, come to Cross Keys, three days of coaching, eight people a day, let's do it. You know, like, okay. Great. Great. What are the dates? Sweet. Calendar. I'm there. Like, so that's hard. It's hard to want to like for 10 years, I've gotten enough work almost to sustain myself without having to really socially throw myself out there. Word of mouth is the best advertising. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, well, cause then you're not, but, but at the same point it would help if I was a little more like, at least they could go somewhere to find the dates. (laughs) I mean, do you like that pace though? Is that how you prefer to work? Or would you like to be busier? Um, yeah, I would love to be busier, you know, especially with providing for my family at this point, you know, because, um, I'm not competing in 2019 or 20 world championships because of this year's nationals being missed. So I've got, a lot of time on my hands where normally I'd be training myself Mm -hmm. for my own discipline. And instead I could be training teams or individuals, people to get ready for those world championships. Um, Sometimes being hired out, you know, go to Dubai in October, possibly Qatar, stuff like that. Getting hired out of country to do courses too, or, you know, 
but I like to keep it local a lot nowadays. I've traveled the world a lot in the past, and I enjoyed it, especially in my 20s. It was just beautiful to see the world. Um, but some, sometimes it's easier to take a two- or three-hour airplane ride than a day-and-a-half airplane ride for a five-day camp is yeah. kind of, you know, doing a five-day camp in the U.S. is a lot less travel time. So Do you it's, have a, it's nice. a favorite place to train people here in the States? Um, you know, like, it's, it's interesting. I actually hadn't been out here to Spaceland in over 10 years since our nationals here in 09. Um, and it's not that the facility isn't deemable. It's just that there's so many places to do it, you know, uh, available in the similar wind weather conditions. So for a lot of times I've been coaching my students down in Z Hills in the past, cause the hangar's right next to the pond. Um, actually this week we rented a golf cart so that it'd be even easier to get back and forth between the pond and the building. It's not too far, but you know, uh, with my leg, I busted up last year walking a lot for like 13 days straight didn't seem like a really smart idea <laughs> dude i lost my mind when i saw you guys rolling on that golf cart yeah. so what the fuck is that thing we need one we need yeah. one of those. i mean it, like it I, they can't be that expensive for how much that rental was for a week like just to own one and leave it on a dz yeah. but a few thousand dollars i've actually i do a yeah. lot of canopy coaching on the dz yeah. and i've looked at buying one but i am a cheap bastard i know the feeling i know yeah. the feeling um it was just like and you know the cool thing, Krosky's, they like they have those like little mini uh, mini pro uh, segways. They're like the ones with the little knee boards. And that oh feet. yeah, yeah. And so you don't need to control anything with your hands. And he just has a couple of those in the drop zone. So every time I go down to their pond, I just ride a ride a segway <laughs> all the way to the pond and back. It's like oh that's easy. Dubai used to have tons of like gators and stuff. There was a one point in Dubai where I was picking up my students in an H one Hummer, just because <laughs> that was on the drop zone that day. Christ. You know. Like, just like, okay, I'm just going to drive the Hummer out to the pond, turn it around, pick up my students, drive them back. It's not even that far. It's like two football fields, maybe. <laughs> yeah, like, but we're just super lazy, right? And you're driving this armored vehicle yeah, to pick like them a, up. Yeah, straight up Hummer. Like, go in. The, and, you know, that actually the Hummer sucked in the desert. Uh-huh. You know, like, there were too many dunes in that area. And we would get around a lot better on those little mini mules and quads and stuff. But but they this weren't. The, the desert yeah. campus? Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. So, but there was, I mean, there were some good times everywhere for sure. But. We used to, Kurt and Jeannie, myself, Jay Maletsky, uh Scott Harper, we used to rent uh, motorcycles out in the desert and then go go riding down in the desert and just go ripping up. And, you know, one point I threw the bike because I went over this dune and I was not expecting it to drop that much. <laughs> and just like, bike's gone. I'm rolling down the dune. It's so much fun, you know, because out there, like, we had no idea what we were doing and we still made it work, you know. Just but, being the rowdy Americans. Just having oh, yeah, a good like, time. I got in so much trouble one time because we were, we rode around. I rode by the drop zone, and then you're not supposed to be like by the drop zone because you can distract students on their finals. Sure, but yeah, we were being not so good. And then the the bike ran out of fuel, and we were right next to the DZ. And then the drop zone owner came over, not the owner, the the manager came over and was like, "Who are you, Bob?" It's like took my helmet off. Like of all the people, I'd at least expect it was <laughs> you. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> like, like sponsor shit <laughs> man i that disappointed him yeah if i only wouldn't have ran out of fuel yeah <laughs> i would have been out of gotten here yeah. <laughs> would have gotten away with it they would have known it was us so you say you you would like to do more coaching in the past you've been yeah. affiliated with different teams in different schools sure today sure. you're completely independent or yeah um you know a few years ago i split with uh alter ego um we we're really good friends now um it's just after seven eight years on the team it just wasn't going the right directions for for the whole group to be exactly the same um, so I did my own thing. I jumped over to Skydive San Diego. I've been kind of, I don't teach under them. I'm only sponsored by them. Um, but I've always been teaching my own curriculum for a very long time. I do have basic canopy courses through the best, you know, professional advice for 
beating Kurt or beating myself or whoever's in the top coveted slot this year. Yeah. Um, so, so for me personally, um, you can contact me on my Facebook page, uh, which is Nicholas Batch. Uh, I have a stunt athlete page, um, Nick, Nick James, Nick James Batch, which yeah. is my middle name. Um, you think my parents uh, used to, you know, like I'm Rick James, bitch. You <laughs> oh know, like, my like, like, like my I friends make fun of me. I didn't connect. Yeah, my friends, my friends yeah. make fun of me all the time. So I'm Nick James, batch. So that's the whole thing. Son of a batch. You've made my night. So this was, was like, worth it. I was like, why? Why would you? I was like, fuck. They must have really been connected to that whole scene back then or something. It's like whatever. <laughs> no, I but, love um, it. Yeah, I mean, for sure. You can catch me on either of those. Send me a Facebook message. Ask me where my, new, my newest courses are. Look for, I'm going to hopefully, like, you, you know, I've been talking. I need, I've been talking for years. But if I could put something together for people to at least follow, go to a page, sign up for a course type thing. I'm sure um, I've been talking to a few people about doing that. Um, and then people will be able to look me up and, and pull my, my stuff. Uh, my Gmail's my name, Nick period batch at Gmail. Um, you can get a hold of me there as well. Yeah. Will you write that last one down, Nick? Nick period batch all at it. Gmail. Um, at the end of the show, we'll put show notes up, so cool. uh, links yep. to his Facebook to Nick Nick James. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> Nick James. <laughs> uh, yeah. All those links will be up there That's for people good. to follow, and I'll include that email address cool. as well. So if you're listening, check out the show notes. You'll be able to get a hold of Nick. Sure. Um, so first of all, man, there's so many websites out there today that yeah. I say websites, web builders that you can easily build your own website, including schedulers and whatnot. Have you looked into that? Yeah. Um. Uh, well, I'm time management's an issue for me. Whenever I'm home, I'm rebuilding my house or flipping okay. a home right now too. I just got done flipping a house for three years with my wife uh, when she was we were living in our old house, and now I'm trying to do a vacation rental in ten months. I have about nine months left to finish it before we start renting it. And that's when we move again for her schooling. So I'm, I'm like, like I need to pay someone to do it. You know what I mean? Because I don't have the time to to learn something new. I've got a lot on my plate at the moment. But uh, but yeah, making time for courses is different than me trying to learn a new a new feature like yeah, that. Yeah. I actually ran into I forget her name. Uh, someone I've had a few few people approach me. You know, like oh well, that's what I do. And I'm like, well, why don't we trade some coaching for some work work trade. and yeah. we can figure it out. So um, hopefully they, if they're watching, they could contact me if you're interested. Uh, I would for sure would love it. Um, also looking, you know, I mean, you know, there's always that. We talked about that unicorn earlier, right? That one person that, you know, might be the next best thing that's ever happened. Um, I would love the opportunity to have a sensei sort of situation in the sport, but I, it's hard to pick out that individual. You know, some people aren't committed enough or don't have what it takes uh, to to put that time to the schedule, be, it would be great to meet someone that does have all the right things lined up that could spend some time taking a bunch of classes from me. Um, I'd love to give them a substantial discount to become you know something of what I could consider a product of my uh, coaching. Yeah, man. You so, know, but but it's hard to find that per. You know, it's kind of like I'm not saying like I'm putting a thing out there for people to contact me, but <laughs> but at the same point, like I. I do watch a lot of the competitive swoopers and, you know, I'm always interested in helping that one person out. Since you won't say this, I'm going to say this. If you're out there and you got the skills Mm -hmm. to do internet stuff, to do website stuff, to help with a scheduling website, Mm -hmm. you want some badass coaching. Number one, you'll get coaching from Nick Batch, one of the fucking best ever. Number two, you're going to help build his website. And that's a huge thing. Like, dude, I do Nick Batch's website. (laughs) So, man, you want to get some good coaching? You want to work trade? I'll pimp you out since you won't do it yourself. Sure. Thanks, man. <laughs> For sure, yeah. man. So we, I'm what, sure what we can think, work something out. What do you think that looks like? What are the characteristics of someone that you think has what it takes? 
Uh, it's really hard, you know. Like, I mean, honestly, it, it. The last person I saw that in was Kurt. You know, it was like it was someone who's 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 putting putting everything on the line to do it. You know what I mean? Like, meaning, quit quit your real job. You're Scott Evan out throughout zone for old time committed to whatever you're trying to do. And that's hard because a lot of people financially can't afford that kind of thing, you know? So, um, but if you were, if you were able to make it to multiple camps that I'm already holding per year to show up just to get the coaching in, you know, and then join the groups that that would be on you to get to those locations, but it wouldn't be on you to pay for the coaching. You know what I mean? So I don't have a team. I don't have, anyone I'm teaching at the moment, I kind of miss that a little bit. I don't have that, like that young person to bring up in the sport. So, you know, I'm just saying like, there are people who I've helped out in the past, you know, it's just dependent on who, who's out there has that passion. I don't see it a lot. It's hard to see, you know, cause some, cause everybody's got a real job or, or someone's, you know, and you're not sure where the new up and coming best are going to be. Um, a lot of them are coveted by other teams, you know, mm-hmm. like you look at the up and comings, you think like, well, there's got to be a lot of people, right? But then, you know, like, look at Alex Hart kicking ass, right? Well, Kurt, Kurt's raising him to be a good swooper, just like I did with with Kurt. And so it's nice to see that 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 grouping. But like I said, there's already people being selected by other coaches to be part of their teams. I'm not asking anybody to be a part of the team. I'm just saying that, you know, um, I, I do like to help out certain people that become, like, my friends or my students more than I do other people if you're looking for an obi-wan kenobi yeah sort of man find nick (laughs) batch i really look forward this week you're going to be doing coaching with a lot of our locals yeah the local kids for three days so i'd call them kids all all my students are my kids kids it's an appropriate word for our gang of folks Uh, yeah yeah yeah, sometimes older than me but they're still my kid yeah there's a gentleman this weekend i'm coaching on fundamental basics and he's my kid Yep. He is Fernando. He's got to be in the sixties, man. Yep. And uh, I'm just happy. He, he's really happy when he gets a stand up landings. Which this weekend we got a we got a good couple of them in. So mm-hmm. just a older fella, but they're all your kids. I look forward to seeing what you do with with our kids here locally. Heck yeah! And hopefully you find some of those people who want to learn with you. And hopefully we keep you coming back here. I mean, it's I'm not partial to the Houston geography, landscape, temperature, but I love the skydiving scene and the people in Houston. So it's been a really great place to call home, and hopefully you can call this one of your extra homes, one of your places to be in. If yep. you need someone to help you put together a video promoting these camps and events. <laughs> I know a guy. I know a guy. It's I not him. I might know <laughs> a, Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Dude, you suck at video editing. I've tried Truth. to compliment you at that, and you'll never Truth. take it. So hey, you well, suck. <laughs> when uh, Nick Batch coaching is on the line, you know, maybe you toot your own horn a little bit. Ah. <laughs> I see what you're doing there, man. Yeah. Um, dude, I actually got a lot of... Uh, you, you said film festival earlier. We have a film festival coming up, and I've heard mm-hmm. so many great comments about your video you made for the film festival. Thank you. Thank Sweet. you very much. So, you did Is a that great out job. at Skydive Spaceland? Or yeah. Okay. Spaceland, October 26th. Is that the date, Nick? There's probably a flyer right behind me, October 26th, Saturday, yep. Nice. Around yeah. sunset, official sunset, 7.02 that day, if my memory's any good. Yeah, it sounds about right, early 7 o'clock. I'll just be coming back from a big vacation, so I'll be all uh, tuckered I, out. I will be in Dubai, yeah. coaching. It'll be yeah. a good time. We get about a dozen entries. Uh, That's good awesome. I miss I miss being around for stuff like that. I used to yeah. watch some of them over at Chicago during Summerfest. Yeah, summer. I don't think many of them really happen anymore. Yeah. I think that was the, when I started jumping. You, it's the Facebook. Like, everybody yeah, puts a video it, on yeah. right away. It's you not know. even like, oh, well, I've can, seen that 16,000 ways on 42 views today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Your, your best 15 seconds on your Instagram feed at the end of the day, right? No one, no one waits yeah. to put in the video. Yeah. Dude, well, the, the you know, we've. 
if you I don't study it a lot, but I've heard about the algorithm and stuff like people average like 15 seconds into a video and they're already flipping it off, even mm-hmm. if it's an entertaining like minute long, <laughs> like, oh, I kept it on a minute 15 it's mm-hmm. off some action stuff. And then like 15 seconds later, people are like, click. OK, I'm on to the next thing. It's crazy. The attention span of people nowadays scrolling through looking and eh, no, eh, no, I'm on super the next. squirrel. Yep, it's yeah. it's it's gotten a bad, but like Facebook, I've done some of those advertising stuff before with it too, and they're talking about like what what algorithms work best, and like, well, your videos that are, we used to make those like what ten minute long videos with like two or three songs to it or something, mm-hmm. and Scott Evan, and like, who even watches that anymore? God, <laughs> those videos are great, dude. dude I, those I, they I are great. Forty five minute videos. Oh yeah. man, I miss yeah. those. Well, my friend, well, my old roommate, we used to make stuff like that back in the day and stuff, and you just sit around the house and like. You know, hang out and chat it up and work on some skydiving videos. Edit up your cool stuff you did. It was it was a lot more. Now everybody's obviously a lot more focused nowadays, but like it's it's more or less just cut paste, no music to it, just like raw. This is the yeah, that's the Instagram stuff. This is the video. Yeah. yeah. So you never. We actually did. You notice we got our first uh, film festival entry today. Yeah, I did notice. That. I didn't get a chance yeah. to uh, to look at it, but I, I saw the message come through. The gauntlet has been thrown, gentlemen, ladies. If you're going to enter the film festival, I've heard a lot of people talking in the last couple of weeks about doing theirs, mm-hmm. and the first one's already been given to us. So, uh, of course, you won't see it till the 26th. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to go back again. Yeah. So now we have you, we you have swooped over through the gates, popped up yep. 700 some odd feet. Sure. Now at some point, somebody in the world deemed that. I think this is how it goes. It was unsafe because people were popping up too much and crashing in too hard was the statement. They had like, so there's multiple of things um, based off theory. Some of them are hearsay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so people, some people were doing it wrong. They were worried about getting hurt. First problem. Uh, second problem. I was flying too far. There weren't many drop zones that could hold the world championships any longer because they would need 222 meters plus 50 meters longer for new records so now in order for someone to place a bid as a drop zone you have to have 272 meters from the entry gate worth of land that's cleared and made nice and so you imagine two and a half football field long lane that has to be maintained right it's a lot of field it's a lot it's a lot to deal with so they figured like if we if we make them touch the water and stay down then they couldn't pop up right um so when we changed when they changed all those rules, you know, there's other theories also as to why they changed, and I don't want to get into the. <laughs> um, You're welcome to. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, I okay. might stir some shit up, but um, I'm sure a lot of people, if anybody knows what I'm talking about, uh, there was just a there was a very big difference in distances between most competitors. So uh, sometimes some people said, "Let's change it so that it would." Uh, bring everybody back down to the same level uh, yeah i think i'm picking it up yeah and uh yeah. and so they did and then we still figured out ways to get around that you know uh it's 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 the th- the funny thing about swooping is it's not that someone gets really good at flying a course because that's all they can do they're, they're really good pilot they learn to adapt to whatever course you put in front of them um so i i would actually like in swooping like there's three courses with three disciplines and three jumps per discipline i mean the goal I would see is the overall world champion would be to have like nine different disciplines with nine different jumps because the overall canopy pilot should be the best pilot in the world flying in any situation, not just repeating the same thing three times. So we, we threw out all kinds of courses. They have a choice at the world game world championships. They can do, 
straight line speed and uh, 70 meter distance where we have to stay down for 70 meters. They've made all kinds of new venues. So why not instead of like three times in each one, make it, you know, one carving accuracy, one pyramid accuracy, one regular accuracy, one speed carve, one straight, you know, like there's, they had a straight toe drag once as a test event in Florida and, um, that was the same time as they were testing the rules, the same exact competition. They test the rules for the distance and they kept the distance one and then got rid of the speed one. But, uh, but yeah, it was cool. It was like a hundred meters or not a hundred meters, maybe it was 70 meter course. And you have to drag your water across foot across the water as fast as you can. So, I mean, we're powered up like, wow. And then at the last second pulling from the dive and then like shooting speed, but with your foot on the water. And I thought that was awesome. Um, did exceptionally well in it, uh, didn't do so well in the distance. And then the distance got incorporated as a new rule, and then the speed didn't. So I thought that was funny, uh, very peculiar <laughs> with the scoring, the way it worked out, yeah. um, and then which disciplines were chosen. But um, at the time, with that being said, it was actually really funny because uh, with, with the course changes, they messed up the whole world championship uh, world records all the FAI records got wiped because they changed the discipline and the database they didn't they didn't subcategorize different venues they just straight up wiped off world records that athletes like myself had paid 150 euros a piece to have published in the world renowned books as being a world record and they got retired because they got rid of the disciplines to then f- later pull the disciplines back they decided not to go with straight line dragging speed. They wiped Greg Windmiller's world record for speed, which was 2.03 seconds, the fastest speed in the world in like 08. And a beautiful red suit. And then, yeah, and then people, they reopened it again. And since it had gotten wiped, they let people re-register. So we're paying for world records that weren't even as fast as Greg's world record just so we could claim it. Because if we didn't, the next person would. And then the FAI made 150 euros on everybody's records all over again on an additional 10 plus records because all the previous records were retired. It's just, it doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? And the database has been horrible for record holders. So even to this day, with I've had uh, 10 world records. I can't find them all on the website very easily. It's not like you look up my name and it's real easy to see all the records. It's very unorganized for all the athletes. And it gets confusing because it's like transcontinental and Euro, Euro-Asian and Asian-Pacific and, you know, like all these different continents of what the records subcategorized under. So it's like you have, um, there's so many records, but it's hard to, hard to keep it organized. So that was the sad part is that they messed up and they retired everything that was worked so hard for. And then we worked all over again for it all again, you know, for the same exact event and speed. We we're all breaking world records that weren't even real world records for years. This is crazy to deny a history. Yeah, it's like why why did we just do this? You know, and they just jumped the gun. They thought they were replacing carving speed with straight line toe drag speed, and they just completely messed it up. So it's crazy how like uh, just a little chanty change, but but on the big end for them it didn't do anything with the FAI it doesn't mess them up you know but for an athlete that spent money and their years traveling around the world to break these records it does mean a lot to take that sort of recognition away or to say it's it's a retired record or you know stuff like that it doesn't exist like imagine how greg felt like oh well great now i'm 
now I'm paying for my record over again because if I don't, and this is his exact words, if I don't, then someone else will. So I'm here I am paying more money just to register a 2.3 second run when I have a 2.073 second world record five years ago. You know, it just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. No, it's different, you know, but it's always been really unorganized when it comes to those websites. While while we're talking about records and accomplishments, do Mm -hmm. do you have a particular accomplishment of your own that stands out as your as your favorite or your your proudest? Um, You know, the World Games, you know, the Olympic tryouts, everybody who's ever won one is is sort of in that same boat. I guess Jay Mladsky, Kurt and myself had won the last three that I competed at. Um that that for me is like the most rewarding competition because that I've won a fourth I won a second place, a fourth place, and a first place. And that's Olympic tryout. So we're you know, we're getting a medal from the International Olympic Committee and it's sanctioned by the FAI and the IPC and the anti doping agency. Mm-hmm. And I mean we're full on professional world class athletes at that point. So for me that was the uh the most rewarding gold medal because that was like the you know that's that's our olympics that's the best we'll ever be you know and whether you're competing in sumo wrestling or parabatic uh hang gliders or whatever the heck all the other sports are because there's a lot of them there's like 18 or 20 some sports that compete for this chance to become a uh olympic sport Mm -hmm. so don't get me wrong out there we're not an olympic sport we are in the test phasing for olympic sports for the last 12 to 16 years in skydiving and 12 years ago also classic accuracy as well as belly flying i remember craig gerard and eliana and those guys out airspeed was with me in taiwan in 2000 and i don't know nine the 2009 world world games and that was the first time i got to meet craig and eliana and stuff and what a inspiring person in the sport not to jump subject but (laughs) Super nice guy, man. Talk about uh, giving back to the community in terms of what he's taught. But, but yeah, I remember being out there, and and that was the first venue. And uh, Scott Ivan was also being looked at as part as a possible. Uh, Scott Ivan was also being looked at as a possible world, you know, Olympic sport. But eventually, those sports got weeded out because they're not spectator friendly enough. Swoopings only survived because of the the ground rush of people coming in right next to you. You're in the bleachers watching it happen, and it's exciting. Um, that's the only reason we've ever made it. But I I don't know that we'll it'll ever when it when it does if it does ever become an Olympic sport I will be long retired for sure. You know yeah uh, for for you know and it's all about living in that right age right and I mean. Heck, if it ever makes it to something, maybe I'll be looked at as one of the pioneers of a sport, you know, as opposed to, you know, but but from a respectable, not like a skydiver respects it because that's different, right? A pioneer in the sport and your love skydiving is different. But like when you hear about pioneers in sports and you've never studied the sport, like pioneers of NASCAR or something that would, mm-hmm. you know, our sport's not big enough to ever get that sort of um, that sort of following. You know, so it would be cool that if if it ever did make an Olympic sport one day, maybe our sport, they'd look back into the past and see who created a lot of what they're doing, you know. But that's part about it, you know, leaving your legacy behind, you know, like like teaching teaching what I know, because I am afraid that if I don't teach it, then maybe no one would be able to. Or what if I've got something a little different that no one's ever come up with? And it's possible. And we're all at the top. Like the top athletes are 
the best of the best going head to head at the end of these competitions. Um, but, but I just feel, you know, every top competitor, I'm sure Kurt feels the same way and stuff, uh, or is, is that you, you are the best, you know, I mean, I, aside from the tie for world titles and things like that, how do you compare something like this? You know, I mean, who was on it that day, really? Cause at the end of the day, both everybody in the top five people is so freaking close competitively. It's like who woke up with that little extra spark of perfect today you know and and that's that's such a cool thing to see in the sport you know is is how how competitive everybody is and how but 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 to judge that like i was saying like i just to give to give back to the community in, in case you do have that little something extra that people don't don't teach you know something extra like you said you can say it a different way than he says it and maybe that works or teaches something so that's that's what i'm looking forward to giving out as much as possible until, like I said, until I retire from teaching eventually. And that's just based off of when my passion stops and family takes over more, you know. There's no doubt you've made a great impact in the competitive world. I mean, it just just what you've accomplished is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Your coaching career really, I wouldn't say has just begun because you've been doing it so long, but but the, the bulk of it is still ahead of you. Mm-hmm. In these next years to come, if there's one thing you could do to impact the sport as a coach, what what's that one thing you would like to do? Is competition person? What what is it? Um. Well, you know, it it's hard. Uh, I mean, actively, like I I want to be able to go to all the venues and be able to teach people where they're going to be competing and stuff like that as well. I think the hardest part for me right now is is going to an. I've done it a few times now. Go to a competition that you used to win and teach before it and walk away the day the competition starts and fly home. That's, that's the, the mentally that was, that's like been the biggest hard part for me. So like doing camps wow. out here and stuff, like going to a camp is one thing, but showing up to like Klat TV to teach my Danish kids mm-hmm. and then not do the comp that I've won each time I've shown up there, you know, so many years in a row, hadn't shown up in two, three years, go back, still want it. Like it's, it's a feeling, you know, like I'm not there just to have fun. And the teaching was part of the having fun. So now it's a job. So it, and I have to find a way to become just as passionate, but without me ever having the fun, you know? So that's, that's the hard part, I think, is finding that drive, that motivation. So, uh, you know, the one thing that my students can keep doing for me that makes me motivated to keep doing what I'm doing is to keep being the badasses that you are when I do coach you and keep growing as an individual and not shutting down and telling me what you can or can't do based off of what you think you can and cannot do. You know, like those are, it's your milestones. It's your, it's your growth. It's your good day that gives me the satisfaction to keep doing it. And without that growth, without that, then it would be the same exact thing as me going out and competing, but not growing as an individual. So eventually I would, die from my I would die from my passion because I would lose that passion because it's not it's not growing right so the biggest thing that anybody can do to keep me doing what I'm doing is just do you as hardcore as you can do you and believe in yourself and when you come and coach with me know that I believe in you and I'm going to do anything I can to get that message across to you that I'm here to help you be you you know this is you are my day like you're paying me my day rate you're paying me my whatever rate um i'm committed to 
you know, what the focus is on you today, you know? And I think a lot of people forget about that. We don't focus on ourselves enough out there, you know? Like, when's the last time you did something for yourself when you're so busy with your wife or your family or stuff like that? So when someone pays you to coach them, I feel like that's a special time, you know, for, for you to get that attention. You're paying for a special attention from a human being. So, you know, to be able to give back as much as I can, it also involves, you know, someone giving themselves trustingly enough to me. It's a relationship. So, you know, if you hold back and you don't trust in yourself, you don't believe in yourself, then it will inhibit your learning experience. And it definitely inhibits how much fun we have that day. Man, I love what you just said there. Um, When somebody pays for you for a day of coaching, that's their special day. They're taking something for them. They're investing extra time and extra money to do their special thing, and they're entrusting you with themselves to do that special thing. Yeah. To me, that puts so much of a higher value in coaching, mm-hmm. and I wish all coaches could understand what you just said because, sure. man, a greater truth has not been spoken. Coaching, really, you yeah. are this is my dream. This is my goal. This is Mm -hmm. my everything. Skydiving for you and I, it's our everyday lives, which is a fucking wonderful life, right? But for these jumpers, these average everyday people we work with, this is their ultimate living the dream moment. Mm -hmm. And they're entrusting you with that, man. As a coach, I love that you embrace that idea. Sure. And I tell people regularly when they have their great landings, like I'm almost as happy as you. There's no way I can celebrate as much as you are, but I promise you I'm a drop behind you. Yeah. And it seems very apparent to me you're the, the exact same way, man. Yeah, I respect like that. Your, your day's my day, you know, like, and that's yeah. that's the truth, you know, and, and I've been through it all, man. I've had everything from broken students to almost dying, you know, it happens in the sport. It's a dangerous sport, right? Mm-hmm. So, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, just for sure, you come to one of these things, just, just trust me, you're going to get more than what you think you were going to get. And uh, that's my goal, you know. I always like to leave things nicer than when I found it. And, you know, even though it's a job, it's a passion. That's why I mentioned if I ever become like stagnant to a point where I really don't enjoy it and I'm really not passionate about it, I stop, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I don't want to keep doing it. I might have a great message to share, but if you're not in it, then you do whatever you, you know, whatever's best for you at that moment, too, you know. And, um, like I said, you know, years, everybody's had their rough patches in the sport and stuff. Um, it's how you get back up after accidents. It's how you treat people or treat yourself that makes a difference. You know, stuff like that, too. So um, just happy to be here, honestly. Yeah. Just, you know, I There's so many more skydiving and swooping questions I want to ask you, but I, I don't want to miss this opportunity, especially to let people get to know you. And I'm really enjoying the time with you as well. Besides skydiving, what drives you? What makes you tick? What wakes you up in the morning? Um, you know, like uh, I think the reason I'm successful in skydiving is because I'm 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 a Virgo. I'm very obsessive compulsive about being good at everything. I want to be perfect at everything. We're humans. We're incapable of perfection. You know, I mean, we can try as hard as we can to perfect and run this life we live as much as possible. But you know, I. I mean, for me, sometimes it's it's just about uh, about being able to live and share my passions with other people. My wife, I'm extremely, you know, protective of family. You know, I love family. I'm very close to my good friends. I have a very small group of very close friends, and that's it. You know, like I, 
I like to weed through the bullshit and just get rid of a lot of the waste that is not, you know, pertaining to a good lifestyle, which would be negativity. And I'm a victim of my own negativity, as everybody is. God, man, so hard on it sometimes. But I think that's also trying to be a perfectionist, you know. So, like, you know, you got you got people who are really positive all the time or high energy people. You got low energy people. You got positive people. You got negative people. You got all these flows. And then it's like, it, you know, for me, finding finding how much can I still take? How much can I take care of everybody who's important to me around me, but still have just enough left in my tank to survive on my own? That's kind of where I where I live. You know, I live on a very selfless plane for myself at the moment. And um, it, it might be a selfish plane in terms of I work really hard because eventually I don't want to work really hard. Uh, but on the underlying surface right now, that means get your ass in the fucking whatever it is you're doing, do it full time. You know, I don't watch a lot of TV. I end up doing a lot of hard work, whatever it is. I want to better my wife's life. I want to better my life so that we can have the best thing that we could ever give to ourselves. You know, right now it's hard with her being in school so much and working. And you flipping a house. You flipping, yeah. This is my second house. I, we we flipped the one I flipped in three years while living in it, and that was really difficult to live in a remodel for three years while you're living. Oh, so much dust everywhere all the time. <laughs> it didn't matter. Every project turned into the next, you know, especially the HVAC systems. Those things throw dust everywhere. But, yeah, it's uh, for me, like, so... So for me, like, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So like giving more than receiving is sort of my thing. And it's not really a religious thing at all. Trust me. It's more or less just an energy thing. It's more or less life philosophy. Just a, yeah, if I can, if I, if I'm capable of giving more than I'm taking right now in life, then that must be the right time to do that. Because I know in life I've taken more than I've given more times than given than I've taken. I think that just means you're investing in you know in life really you're investing yeah. in other people you're yeah. investing in future success sure I, I think that's a good sign it's a hard balance too like mm-hmm. what is success financial success or friends success like enjoying your life loving success you know and i think we're all victims of indulging so much into that skydiver i'd do whatever the hell i want to do because it could be my last moment type thing and we've all been so close to this for so long that you know it's it's weird when you start trying to do the adulting thing. <laughs> like you're like, wait, wait, am I making a logical decision that's best for my family right now? Yeah. What the fuck was that? Who who am I? Where'd I come from? Like, this is bullshit. Like I don't I shouldn't have to do this right now. And then I look at myself, I'm like, You're thirty eight years old, dude. Like, yeah, you might need to grow up a little bit and take care of some shit. But it's funny, you know, like you just always want to be that big kid my whole life. I've just been a big kid. Yeah. I've lived my dream. I flown around the world i earn money teaching what i love to do and at the same point it's ultra you know low sometimes you know like you go from those super high peaks extreme sports athletes have it bad go from the super high peaks to those super lows like you go from flying down the mountainside with you know mike swanson and julian boulet and uh you know a couple other people uh you know flying on your side doing the mountain thing Noah Bonson um, and uh, there's there's Jonathan Flores before he had passed yeah. and and this is a first base jump XRW they got me leaving in a helicopter I'm up the gorge flying past Longfrau in Switzerland and then they're leaving the cliff and then flying up next to me and you go from and we f- decided I couldn't fly with my hands on my rears because I kept accidentally hitting the rears so then Swanson's like well just fly Ghost Rider then so I've got footage <laughs> of like uh, you know the mountainside. 
I'm here. That wall is the cliff and flying ghost rider down the side of a, a cliff wall with three, four wingsuiters on my left side. And Noah's like within three inches of taking a dock, but it's so fucking slow. Cause this is like 2013 or some shit. And we should not be doing any docking. And Swanson said, this is my project. There will be no docking and everybody respected it, but it was right there. Just like, come on, man. Like, just take my foot. Just, just touch take it. my foot, just man. Touch it, man. But you go from that, and then you go to like a normal jump, and you're just like, oh man. And it's not that it's not rewarding. It's just that like you you had this most amazing trip in the world, and then you come home, and you're like, oh, just normal job now, day to day stuff. Like, and it might even be day to day. It might still be skydiving, but it's not flying down the side of a mountain with your hands off your controls and wingsuiters <laughs> next to you. So it's cool, you know. And but. I think as you know, as professionals, we get those super highs and super lows um, because the ride is so uneven sometimes, and it's hard to find that standard middle ground where you're just chilling out like a normal person on the couch watching TV mm-hmm. every day. I think that transition's been a little difficult to. What have you done to find that transition to smooth it out for yourself? Um, you know, try to enjoy other sports as much as possible. The small things. It's been crazy since I hurt myself. I actually yeah. enjoy swimming and stuff because I feel free in the water. I haven't been able to skydive. I uh, I go for x-rays on the 16th of this month to see if my tibia is healed enough to take the plates out. But it's uh, it was a pretty bad tibia break. It pretty much shattered into 15, 20 pieces. Oh. And it was kind of crushed and twisted. And um, so with that being said, it's not, it's not a real flat, smooth, linear crack and... It's back together. It's taken a long time to put the Swiss cheese back in there and fill all the holes back in. So for me, uh, you know, it's been trying to find the small things in life that make me happy enough to keep going, you know. And and, and to be honest, it's just, you know, the, those are thoughts of, like, my family, my wife, my my dog, as simple as it is, you know, you know, my mom, my sister, stuff like that, you know, just like, man, that I came so close to killing myself. You know, I've done it so many times, but and I know that sounds bad, but as an extreme sports athlete, I've collapsed a canopy in Dubai speed flying above the mountain and fell into the mountainside, and we've all had those close incidents. Um, so I guess for me, just, you know, being being thankful that I was okay, but at the same point, I wasn't okay because something just magically made it okay, all right? So when I smacked the water with my knees, this is a good, this is great for uh, the everybody out there you know like when i smacked the water of my knees i didn't stop flying the parachute i'm still going like 75 miles an hour at a very high projection rate across the ground and i'm upside down in my harness so i actually righted myself in my harness with my control inputs and then that's when i realized i'm like 50 70 feet up but not the type of projection that i would do for a swoop where it's like real smooth and i have all this power i used all of my power and lift to save my life so there wasn't anything left after I went back up again. So it went up very vertical and then came down very fast. So that's where I ended up getting hurt was on the down portion. It's about 60 degree down slope. So sharper than 45. Yeah. And I'm flaring in with 35 pounds of lead on from 60 feet with a 3-2 wing loading under a 64. So there's just nothing there. So I stand it up and it blows up my whole left leg. Doctor says you didn't stand it up. You would have blown out your back. Most likely worse. I would have if I was upside on the harness, head hit broken blah, blah, blah. neck. Man. Yeah, I had a, I had a friend that hit his head at like fifty miles an hour, or not that long after my accident, and it messed. You know, it put him into a mental state of a child. 
So I, I imagine what would have happened with mine. I still broke my nose because it blew out my tib fib, broke my femur up by the hip joint, and then sm- still smashed my face into the ground and then broke my nose. And my friends asked me, like, are you all right? So when I pulled my leg out, this left leg was wrapped around the right leg, and I didn't know it. It was compound fractured out this oh. side. So it was like I was laying on, my, laying on my side like this, and then this leg was actually under my body, but I didn't know it. I just thought I could only feel a pinch on my hip and a pinch down there. And I knew I had, yeah, but like the adrenaline is so insane. You know, it was just absolutely insane. The amount of adrenaline. That freaks me out, man. It was pretty hardcore. But my message is like, don't stop flying the parachute. You might be done. You might have crashed. It's still flying. There's still like momentum. There's still physics going on here. Like Campy is doing his thing. Like you are that stone. You just made the first skip. Get ready for the next one. Mm -hmm. You know, it's coming. So, don't stop fighting. Keep flying, you know, because it saved my life more than once. It might win you a gold medal or it might save your life. Yeah. You've got to fly through the end, man. Yeah, you keep flying. To. Keep flying. Don't, don't let it just be what it is because if I would have just let it be, I don't think I'd be here to talk to you about it, honestly. So, you know, and that's just awareness that, oh, shit, I fucked up. Shit's gone wrong. Yeah. Like, I need, to, I need to get my shit together now. <laughs> I think that's a phenomenal lesson yeah. for skydiving, but I think it holds so true for life. Yeah, for sure. You know, no matter what happens, keep flying, keep pushing it, keep yeah. driving and fighting until the end. And ultimately, hopefully we get good. One of the things that you've said is what really is a measure of success. And, and I, I believe you're insinuating it's not necessarily financial. It is the happiness, yeah. the friends, the family. And one of the things that I kind of read into, I don't know if you mean or say this, but one thing I've learned over the last several years since I've turned 40 or so is my measure of success is based off my friend's success. My success mm-hmm. is is Nick's success, how I've been able to help train. I don't train Nick in anything, man. Um, I train him as an athlete, bro. He got those abs because of me. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, I think I pick up a lot of good lessons from you. Uh, not, I, not all uh, not all skydiving related. I some, appreciate some that, of them man. for sure, but yeah. I appreciate that. And But that's it right there. My success is knowing my friends are better because of me. Mm-hmm. You know, a good buddy of mine, he, he constantly was seeking happiness, constantly seeking happiness. And I told him, like, man, the only way I found to make happiness is to help my friends be happy. Mm-hmm. And, and really filling other people's tanks. How much does that help fill your tank? Sure. And I've run in that exact same situation. And I've seen it in sport. And I've been a total victim of being that guy who was a complete asshole when he first started in the sport. And it's because I got really good, really young, and got really cocky with the right advice. Well, I'd say the wrong advice, but the right mental attitude. The guy I was learning from knew how to win, did not know how to treat people. Big difference. So I tried out for the BD team. This is when Jessica made it. Mm-hmm. Tommy made it. Pablo made it. Yeah. Uh, Brian Vatcher. So that was on the PD team. So I tried out for that team because Team Extreme was done anyway because we, we weren't getting air shows. The, the gig was up, right? So I applied. And then the whole thing turned into everybody that was not like the, the PD factory team, but like all the people attending that were just jumpers. Mm-hmm. Like, like, oh, I heard about you. You're a f- asshole. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like the whole camp was just focused on like rip me down. And I was like, whoa, like this is the image I'm putting out there in the sport. Like, holy shit. Like I've been rubbing people. Yeah, I get it. Like you're you should be mentally strong, like going into the competition. Like I'm going to win this shit, but you shouldn't be walking up to their face and like. I'm going to beat your ass. Like, you suck. <laughs> you know, like, that's a different thing. You know, like, well, yeah. you've been watching a little bit too much Talladega Nights or something, you know? 
So it's just really funny, but it actually, you know, it, it, it's crazy. That image, that first image that got burned into the industry for like a few years actually followed me for almost a decade. And people to that day, like to this day, maybe even, but about 10 years ago would walk up, they meet me for the first time and they'd be like, wow, you're not that bad of a guy. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> oh, shit. It's like, fuck. You're like, not that like bad I, of a The guy. things I heard, you know, and I'm like, Jesus Christ. So moral of this story is I, I tried to make these changes, right? Because I was like, well, everybody doesn't like me, right? So I tried to make all these changes to adapt for why they don't like me, but that wasn't working. And I really figured out at the end of the day that you can't change for other people. You're always going to have someone who doesn't like you at the end of the day. If you're unhappy with yourself, you have to change for yourself. It's a self-involved task, not uh, I can do this and make other people like me more. It's a you need to inner reflect what the fuck is wrong with you at this moment that's causing these people to get this vibe this energy from you that's causing this backlash against you and then fix that because you want to fix it for yourself it's something that people have aware given you awareness to it's something that you so instead of taking the negative from it and like being like wow i just got dissed on by a whole bunch of people and i hate it it actually made me a better person because at the end of the day i figured out how to be nicer to people and be a better person for the right reasons not just because i wanted to put on a fake face during a competition and win, but because I actually cared about who they were as a person after the competition, stuff like that. So it changed. It took a lot to change. It took a lot of people to rip me hard to get me to realize what the hell was going on. So it was like a fucking intervention for Swooper Nick <laughs> at the PD tryouts. And I'm like, oh, shit, what the hell did, <laughs> what the hell did I just walk into? But it was it was, you know, it was much needed, I guess, you know, and whether it was meant to be in the way that it was, whether it was meant to rip me down so I'd stop winning competitions or they seriously didn't like me as a person. It, I, it, it made me change for the better. And then at the end of the day, like it only backfired on whoever they were situation wanted. It either did what they wanted and it made me a better person, which is what their overall goal was, or I got through it mentally and I still kept winning and it didn't afflict my competition. But for a while there, it did because there was a moment when I wasn't, I couldn't figure out how to believe in myself strong enough on the inside, but I was really strong on the outside. So when I played that persona, when I put that face on at the competition, that was also my stability of my own consciousness, like my own confidence in my own performance. So that was like what put me in the zone to win. So it took a minute to learn how to turn that on on the inside and believe in yourself without being that cocky dickhead on the outside that was causing you to believe in yourself. So it was, yeah, it was pretty interesting to go through the mental change. So in a way, like it only helped me evolve as a competitor because I learned how to do this battle in here and never even talk to anybody about it. Um, which at the end of my career this last year, one of the uh, Mary Lou Laughlin, uh, which is one of the FAI coordinator sports uh, judges, she's been mm -hmm. around forever in the sport, helping us out. And we've always conversed a lot and gotten along very well in the competition realm. Um, I respect a lot of those judges. When I used to begin to swoop, I didn't. I was an ass, you know, same attitude issue back in the day. Um, but she, she goes, something, there's something about you right now. And it was in 2017, 2018 World Championships, uh, both those comps. And she said, you have the Zen thing going on right now. I don't know what it is. No one can read it. 
No one can tell what's going on in your brain, but it's working. Like, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. And she was right. I finally, like, and that's, that's the hard part about, like, her getting hurt and then going into retirement right now. Prior to my retirement, I was doing really well. I had won the 17, world, uh, won 2015 World Cup, 2017 World Games, 2017 World Cup, 2018 World Championships. So I'd run four competitions in a four-year stint of World Champion titles out of the five that were being given. And one of them didn't complete because it was 2016, so we had bad wins. So I was on a roll, man. I was at the top of my career doing my thing. And that's the hardest part about getting hurt because I was in my I was I put my last 15 years of really hard work in and it's just starting to become an undefeatable type of moment, you know, where you just feel like you're just going to keep this role going. I'm going to keep winning. I'm going to keep winning. And then I got hurt. And it was like, wow, like you were just there. Like you just found your Zen, you know, you found your third eye type thing, you know, and then it suddenly disappeared like that you know and then all kinds of other worries happened in my life um besides just my own personal injury uh that made this life uh this year was extremely hard for my family on both sides we had a lot of incidents happen in the families um good friends pass away also uh so it's it's been it's been trying you know but that's part of the goal right like how can i find that zen thing without still doing the swooping thing and incorporate that into everything else I do in my life, you know, like, but it's hard when you're the most confident person in the world at doing what you've done the best at for 15 years, but that goes away. So then what is your real, your, what is your next thing? You know, like what is the thing that gives you the most pleasure? Where is your moment where you need to cross over you know, and that's been that's been a really hard thing to find would be when I retired in 16 and I came back in 17, I did 15 jumps in 2016 and I I lost myself in the sport before then. I wasn't competing for the right reasons and I just found myself and then I was doing excellent. And then now without that retirement in 16, I would have lost my brain when I got hurt in September this last year because that was not just a retirement sort of threat. That was a physical threat to my health. So now not only am I, Oh, I can't go to the swoop freestyle. I can't go to the world championships. I can't go to nationals this year. I can't do this. I was also thinking, am I going to be able to walk again correctly? Cause the doctor says that my legs too messed up to put on just right, you know, and stuff like that. So I had, you know, it took four, it took three, three different times putting me under trying to just reset the bone back into my leg. Cause they couldn't get it separate enough to put everything back. <laughs> So, and it took, it came down to like a male doctor and in between they're telling me like, we don't know if we're going to be able to save this piece of bone. We're going to have to freeze it and hope that it works out. You know, like just the things you're hearing are just like, am I going to lose my lower leg? Like what's happening down here? Cause it's not good. And, um, and you know, lucky I had a, a nurse and I had a surgical trauma nurse as my wife. <laughs> so it was great. I was at her hospital. I had all her friends taking care of me and stuff. But at the end of the day, you, you run into these life changing situations and, this is all you've done your entire life. Like I, like I'm saying, like I would have been way more in a mental depression state had I not already gone through one of those. What do you do with your career after you're done being a professional sports athlete, but you haven't made the money of a professional sports athlete to retire and take care of your body that you beat up as if you're getting paid as a professional sports athlete. So you are the next Travis Pastrana, but you don't have the millions in the bank to pay the bills. 
that turns into one of those, where do you play your exit game on the sport? You know, man, uh, one of the things that stands out so much to me, a, a real measure of a man is when you face personal adversity. And when I say personal adversity, you getting torn down by your friends, your friends telling you your shit stinks. You're doing this. Mm-hmm. You're an asshole. Why are you being a dick right now, DJ? So often as human beings, we take those attacks and we cower inside of ourselves and we mm-hmm. lash back and we fight back and we never learn from it. But man, I got a lot of respect for you because you took those personal attacks and call them what you will. I'm just going to use that as, as an easy term. Sure. And you took them as a growth opportunity mm-hmm. and, and you took them as an opportunity to grow and blossom. And, and as you've told the story, where would you be right now with this leg situation if you didn't allow yourself to take this personal in, uh, reflection, this personal insight that people have given you and use it to grow as a human being? Yeah. And a lot of respect, man. I, I, um, I will say over the years, you know, I've known your name for quite a while and I've heard questions about your name and I've always been yeah. a firm believer. Sure. Never listen to the people because just because somebody doesn't like doesn't mm-hmm. like you doesn't mean I will or I won't. They might have had a, you might have had a bad day the day you met that person. Yeah. But I will tell you, I've met you this week and I've really enjoyed the man I've gotten to know. I appreciate it. You know, yeah. and it's taken a long time to. Well, you know, and I don't I don't put myself out there either to put that message across either. You know, it's like the friends who I've developed with new friendships get to know me as who I am today. I don't really talk much about anything or, you know, who, and like I said, I've heard I, I get it a lot less than I used to. But for <laughs> sure, it was um, it was one of those things where you just got to, you know, you got to figure out, make some change because it's not working out the way. It is. Yeah. And if you think it's working, it's it's not. And you get those guys. And but that's where I came from. I came from a bridge burning mentality from the way I was raised in the sport from someone who burned a lot of bridges. And it put a bad taste in, a, excuse me, a lot of people's mouths were for sure like, oh, shit, like, what is this? Um, but but for the most part, like, I, I don't know, I'm just uh Still, like I said, just trying to find myself again outside the sport in other ways to keep yourself happy, to keep yourself mentally going, you know, to where, you you know, look forward to the, the future of what is going to be next. And hopefully it's getting these damn plates out of my legs so I can start swooping again. Man, I hope to see you back on the circuit. Yeah, I, I, nice. I hate to cut it a little bit short, but A, I hope to see you back around soon and get back together and do this again. Yep. Uh, Nick turns into a pumpkin in the next 20 minutes. That is the truth. I turn my into a pumpkin comes in up real 30 quick. minutes. My bedtime is That's actually cool. similar to yours, unfortunately, yeah. nowadays. But man, before we wrap up, anything else you want to share with your friends and family who've uh, been listening tonight? Uh, thanks for listening. Good stuff. Um, hope you learned something more about me that I don't normally talk about. You know, uh, learn something more about the sport that will make you interested uh, to learn more. You know, hopefully you got to understand how a coach thinks or how I think. And uh, and if you got you have questions, bring it. Yeah, that's what we're here for. Like that's we didn't dedicate our whole lives to getting good at this so that we could not share it with the world. You know, it's it's a little different than a lot of other sports. So so take advantage of that because you guys have like the best learning uh, environment ever for anyone. So. If you ever run across Nick Batch on a drop zone, I've witnessed you on the DZ for a week now. 100% approachable. Friends that you've known forever, you've greeted like they've been your buddies. People you don't know, like myself, you immediately embraced. You were so nice. You were so welcoming. Thank you. Approach this man. He is, no matter what you've heard about his past, (laughs) a very approachable, very friendly, very welcoming guy. And, man, I've listened to you share a lot of knowledge this week. So, guys, gals, hit up Nick. Check out the show notes. See what you've got. Mr. P, what you got? Uh, film festival, October 26th. Just make a video. 
make a video, tell your story, have fun, win a GoPro, win a free uh, sweater uh, swoop shorts, eight free jumps from Scott of Spaceland, and Aries 2 from LMB, a Pro Track 2, and some other really cool shit. Till then, Gravity Lab Radio, Blue Skies, go home, honky. Ha <laughs>